Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Greetings and welcome to the Power Station. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and it's brutal down here, and I love it. And crafting the perfect Steely Dan playlist, I am Ash Versus. Luke, I'm just trying to decide between Pretzel Logic and Cousin Dupree. I mean, what would you do? Uh, have you got any Limp Bizkit on the on the list by any chance? No. Well, this episode originally aired on YouTube on the 28th of November 2021, then broadcast on E4 on December 1st, 2021. You won't believe this, but FIFA is top of the video game charts, Adele is top of the bops, and House of Gucci dethroned Ghostbusters Afterlife at the top of the UK box office. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. Synonymous with words, style, power. But that name was a curse too. I've been a Gucci all my life. Your name is in the history books. Paolo, you are Gucci, you need to dress the part. It's chic. She needs new blood. It's time to take out the trash. They're my family. So am I. You picked the real firecracker. She's a handful. House of Boo Chi, more like. Mmm. It works two ways because it's it's dethroned a movie I do like, and that movie's about ghosts. Yeah, no, no. It's it's a solid joke. Thanks, Bad. Although, you know, as we can use this as an excuse to talk a bit more about Ghostbusters Afterlife, interestingly, House of Gucci actually did less worldwide 
despite dethroning Ghostbusters here in the UK. House of Gucci grossed like $53 million in the US and $99.5 million in other territories worldwide of about $153 million. Ghostbusters Afterlife, $129 million in the US and $75 million in other territories. Yeah, that's interesting. That, isn't it? It, the overseas audience wasn't really there for Afterlife, but it was for House of Gucci, which I think makes sense because it's a film about sort of the fashion world and everything. And that's a very uh, European thing, which probably would have contributed to it. Plus, it's a movie that's got like the big cast. Lady Gaga. Yeah, but that didn't translate uh, to American viewers. Plus, it got like slated uh, in, the, in the press at the time. Mark Kermode had a absolute ball reviewing this movie because it's a movie of wacky accents. So it just gave Mark Kermode plenty of ammunition to just do wacky accents on his five live show. Al Pacino, who, who is in full <laughs> mode, is positively understated when put on screen next to the ridiculous car crash of a performance that is Jared Leto. <laughs> I am sorry, but can Jared Leto start acting like he's acting in the film with everybody else and not like he's going, Oi! Awards voters! Look at me acting! Look! I'm bald! I've got some prosthetics on and I'm doing a voice! I'm doing it. I'm doing a voice. I'm like, voice like this. To make a prediction. Like this. And you... Literally, people are going, hey, you know, I don't know. What are you doing? Hey, what do you think, Paolo? Oh, I don't You're a whale? What on earth is he up to? He's not going to win an award. I bet you, right here and now, that he does. I bet you, I won, he'll what be... What will he win? Golden Globe. Yeah, but we already know... <laughs> you know that does... I don't, yeah, but they're rubbish. We know that they do... <laughs> They don't count. You, you know they don't count. No, I know. But you just said an award. See, my favourite bit about this is, of course, took a quick look at the Wikipedia page for the critical reaction. What phrase do you think was used, Luke? Did he get a mixed response? <laughs> mixed reviews. <laughs> Did get a nomination at the Academy Awards for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, which you'd kind of fucking hope for a fashion-based movie. I haven't seen it. The only thing I've seen about it are the wacky accents and the, the various clips that went viral of Mark Kermode doing his impression of the film. The statement given to Screen Daily by Jared Leto on the subject of playing Paolo Gucci in the film House of Gucci. Hey, I could relate to Paolo's desire to be taken seriously as an artist. His desire to be heard, his desire to create something special and share it with the world, said Leto. Thank you very much. I've not seen it either because it's just not my kind of film, although, you know, OK, it's got Lady Gaga, it's got Adam Driver, also Jeremy Irons, Salma Hayek. Who are Al Pacino's in there? <laughs> sort of mean it's, it's a movie that's relying on the big cast. I, there was a film, American something or other, that kind of tried to do a similar thing a few years prior to this, where it was like, and actually we've saw it recently with Amsterdam as well, where it's just you're not going to see this film because of the plot or because of its story. Look at all the big names that are on the poster. And that's what's driving you to see this film, which I don't think translate as well to American audiences. No. I, think, I think they're sort of done with that idea. Well, I was following on from what you said about uh, last week's episode that we did with episode one, and you took the brave step into checking the YouTube comments, which I hadn't thought to do, you know, with a sort of benefit of hindsight. So I was like, do you know what? 
I'm going to dive into the YouTube comments on the second episode. Oh, it's a fucking mess in there, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a minefield. <laughs> it, you, you've really got to know your your YouTube algorithm to, to learn a lot about how, I think, the actual reception of this episode. Because at the top, it is a lot of positive comments. And it's the further down you get is when you get into the muck and the mire like in, in mid table, I would say, are people complaining about the the costume segments and sort of being like, well, there, there's one coming that's doing like, well, MMA fighters would like to have a word with you. They apparently are built for combat and all that sort of stuff. And you know, so one of the comments this one that made me laugh busted out the term very similitude. So, <laughs> so you know, he's doing his GCSE media studies to be able to bust out that term to make him sound smart. But yeah, the further down you go is when you get into the muck and the mire of things. And that's where you get a lot of the box ticking and woke and all that sort of nonsense. But the fact that it's at the bottom means that that's the stuff that no one's paying attention to. Because the way the YouTube comments are is that the amount of interactions they get, or whether it's comments or thumbs up, things like that, much like Reddit, pushes them further up. So the fact that all of the positive comments are at the top tells you this is probably really well liked by the YouTube audience that have watched this. We don't have the like and dislike ratio, but I reckon it's probably set about 90, 92 to 8. Going by what our videos get, mm. I reckon it's probably set at probably about a 92% thumbs up uh, ratio. Genuinely, most people, and I'm one of those people, I'll watch a video on YouTube and I won't comment and I won't click a thumbs up. And I won't click a thumbs down because I'm also, I'm watching it on my TV. I, I've only left one YouTube comment in my entire life. And it was on a gaming historian video on the Super Mario Brothers, the 93 Super Mario Brothers movie. And that's only because he'd used the term that they, uh, that Jankel and Morton were a husband and wife duo, which they weren't. They were never married. And that's just, that is something that Bob Hoskins said in an interview that sort of become written lore about the movie. So whenever anyone makes a video or a podcast about it, it's referred to them as a husband and wife duo, but they were never married. And I only know that because Annabelle Jankel had a go at, well, not had a go at me, but I'd written in my chapter that they were a husband and wife duo for my book. And she corrected me on it. And we were like, just so you know, we were actually never married. I don't know why people keep saying that we were married. We never were. So I just, I left that as a comment to be like, oh, just as a fun fact, uh, I was told that they weren't actually married. Just thought you might be interested to know. And that's the only YouTube comment I've ever done. And it was just there to be like a, here's a little helpful information that you might want to, you might want to know. You don't have to know. You don't have to care if you don't want to, but it's what I've heard. Something I did notice, someone who has commented on YouTube is someone we'll be talking about later. Oh. Chrissy Two Sticks. Has. I saw your oh, name in the yeah, comments. Oh, <laughs> yeah, getting yourself over. <laughs> getting yourself over. And also calling out someone that is basically a racist. <laughs> Actually, not even basically a racist. Specifically, a racist. Being a racist. Oh, yeah. yeah big yeah. old racist and a big old racist comment. Good on you, Chrissy. Absolutely. Checked in with him today. He's doing fine. Good. Very busy. Very busy boy. He always is a busy boy. He's too handsome and he's too busy. That's his problem. <laughs> it's like, why don't you have Chrissy back on the show? Because we resent him. <laughs> <laughs> he makes us look bad. I mean, we do a good enough job of that ourselves. We don't need his help. I don't need him helping us out with that. Back off, Chris. <laughs> Go back to your joysticks and your floppy. <laughs> yeah, before we'll you know, save a lot of our final thoughts when we get to the episode as per, but because this is the revisit, sort of, you know, having a bit of a feel about this is the first time I've watched the episode since it aired. This is way better than last week's episodes. 
I actually, I really think this is the strongest of the three, even though I don't think the celebrity challenges, I think the celebrity challenge is the weakest of the three, but I think overall, this is, this is my favorite episode, I think. I think it's my favorite episode for the most part, although I personally think it's got the weakest special feature. Oh, the, the, the costume one? And it's not because I'm going to get neckbeardy on it. <laughs> it. It's just because we already know from talking with Frankie, it was filmed as one thing. And then by the time it got to the narration, it was another thing. And I think that in part leads to why it kind of feels a bit directionless yeah it's, it's you're not quite sure what it's there for sure let, let's dive into the episode i i really like a lot of rab's uh self-deprecating humor not just about himself as being you know perhaps too old of a person to be hosting this e4 show we get a lot of that later on which is like i don't know what e4 one i've never seen a show on e4 Welcome to Games Master, where brave souls compete to win a legendary Games Master golden joystick, despite the fact they can be easily made at home for about a tenner, which is exactly the same amount of money being earned by my apocalyptically handsome co-hosts, Frankie Ward. Hello. And Ty Logan. Home. But even Games Master itself of trying to win this prize that you yourself can make at home for a tenner. You fucking can't. You can't get those joysticks for a tenner. Do you know why? Because Games Master Production bought them all. And I enjoyed Games Master's line, you know, only the foolish are willing to take on my challenges. So join me in the bit. It's quite brutal down here, actually. I love it. <laughs> I'm quite the sadist and the masochist. Do you want to talk about Steely Dan? Do you, uh, shall, I, can, shall I pass the floor across to you now so you can talk about Steely Dan? Well, no, because I kind of did it the first time we, we, we touched on this. But I will say, in hindsight, I know some Steely Dan. My history with Steely Dan is, is historically, as a lover of classic rock, I knew Reeling in the Years, I knew Bodhisattva, Ricky Don't Lose That Number, which are the three songs that I name-checked when we did this episode the first time round. I learned a lot more about Steely Dan during my period of time of being a internet radio DJ for a station with a 75% American audience. Because Steely Dan, they are, you know, a global band. But man, the American Midwest fucking loves Steely Dan. They really like Steely Dan. There's a lot of bands I learned a lot about in a very quick space of time because people would request a song and I'd queue it up and then I'd hit play and I'd be like, oh, wow. Why did I play this track? Or, you know, this mm. does not fit. So I had to start educating myself on bands. So when someone requested a deep, deep album cut, I knew whether I should play it or not. Steely Down was one of those bands I had to apply that logic to. When this episode came around the first time and we did our jokes about Steely Dan and Rab did his jokes about Steely Dan, it actually sent me down a bit of a Dan hole. I ended up listening to a lot of Steely Dan and going, ah, I'd forgotten how much I like these guys because I haven't listened to a lot of them since I stopped being a radio DJ. So, yeah, if you TikTokers and uh, Generation Alphas or Zeds, I don't know what Generation we're at now. Generation Z, I think. Yeah, yeah. Gen Z. Zombies. Yeah. That's the ones. Uh, generational Zombies. If you don't know Steely Dan, go to Spotify or Apple Music or YouTube Music or... or TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> I'm sure Steely Dan are on TikTok. Yeah, listen to it in 15-second chokes, the way it was supposed to be listened to. <laughs> I really like this joke. I think it still lands. I think it's a perfect band choice as well because it's it's an old band because it plays up to Rab being old, Frankie being young, 
E4 being a station for younger people. It is a name that you don't need to know. You don't need to know a single Steely Dan song, i.e. like this guy. But you know what He's the, pointing at himself. Yeah, like this guy. You know what the joke is. It would work the same way that it said, like, he listened to The Grateful Dead. Like, it is an old band that you have probably heard of, but have never actually heard. So I think that's what, it, it's almost the perfect band to choose here. You almost want it to be a band that you've heard of, but have never heard. If Rab had said Billy Joel, because I know Rab was at the concert in Hyde Park, wouldn't have worked because people know Piano Man or Uptown Girl. Or we just start a fire. Like that yeah. is, it's, but that's become like an internet meme. So, like, people know what that one is. I don't even think it would work if you just said, like, uh, Deep Purple. My, oh, it definitely wouldn't work with Deep Purple. Yeah. So, like, you need to, uh, you have to have the right band for this joke to work. And that's why I think Steely Dan would work. Although, Frankie Ward has confirmed, she does know who Steely Dan are. <laughs> it's a bit. Don't go after her, internet. But let's get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? This challenger will be playing the highly anticipated 2021 release Deathloop, which features Colt, an assassin stuck in a time loop, who must take out targets known as visionaries in order to break the loop. In this agonizingly tricky challenge, scientist Dr. Wenji Evans has created clones of herself, which the challenger must kill in 90 seconds or less. A particularly tight time limit, as our challenger will have to attack aggressively, where in normal circumstances, stealth would be preferable. I should really throw this over to you once again, because in the intervening years since this episode aired, you have now played this game. Oh, I played the shit out of this game. Genuinely, once this game hit Game Pass, this became an obsession of a game. This game is so much better than it looks in this challenge. And I'm not saying that because I want to dog on the challenger, but... The challenge is about speed, and it's about actually playing the game in a way that it's not best played. I mean, what do you know of Deathloop the game? Or is it literally what you see here? It's what I've seen here and what people are talking about it online. This whole idea of like, it's a first person shooter, but it's Groundhog Day. Yeah, so you play the same environment again and again, and people behave sometimes the same, sometimes differently, and you learn people's routines. So you know that if you want to kill this person, you go to location A in the morning, because then you can go to this place in the afternoon and get the other people. And the idea is to kind of get to the end game scenario, you have to kill all of these kind of bosses within a single day span and you can only do that by going after them in a certain order but you have to discover that by playing the game repeatedly the wenges which this challenge is based around is a proper asshole, and i've played it the way the game is meant to be played i've stealthed i've used traps i've used minigun turrets i've done all these bits and pieces that you can do and i still died a bunch of times I've not even tried to play the game like this challenge shows, and I wouldn't, because I know I would die exactly as quickly as K-Pow does here. It's one of those seemingly unfair challenges that uh, these, this series has. Like, Gamesmaster back in the day had challenges, and some of those challenges were very difficult, but plausible and doable. But, you know, as we get with the FIFA challenge next week, and I think, and we had last week with the Call of Duty challenge, and I think this is another one of them, it's almost nigh on impossible to actually do this. I would say it's nigh on impossible to do this in October 2021. I think as we stand now, September 2023, people could absolutely do this because this game was not released until September 2021. There's less than a month. But even so, like the idea is you've got to go in there and kill all these lads 
within a 90 second period. But in order to do that, you can't stealth it. You have to just bum rush in and just try and get lucky, I suppose, or take out the security cameras, which is where is the undoing of KPOW. But yeah, this feels like, particularly at this period of time, this is one of those nigh on impossible challenges so we can have some losers on the show. We don't want all the winners. Yeah, I think with enough practice and knowing exactly which ones you should shoot, which cameras you should shoot, where you should take like kind of boost damage, if it were, as it were, to move on, you could do this in 90 seconds, but it would be a case of, I need to practice this. I need to basically work out how to properly speed run this. That's not happening in October 2021. And again, jumping ahead a bit, I think KPOW did way better than I would have done then and better than I would have done now. And she is a little silly sausage as well. Games master. And you are? I'm KPOW's D. I am a full-time streamer and silly sausage. I understand you are passionate about first-person shooters. However, Deathloop is a new game, and if you lose, then you join me down here in the abyss. Confident? No, not at all. But I'm having a great time. <laughs> K-Po's introduction here just is actually one of my favourite moments with a contestant because she has that kind of perfect spider, cat, man, girl, kind of like proper ba-boom games master yeah. pointing and I thought that is someone that is really playing up to the kind of the theatrics of it and to having a persona having a character and I also know because I remember the dickheads online that a lot of people hated that and yeah. I thought that was a shame because here is someone that is a full-time content creator and that expression seems to make people insanely angry which is ridiculous because Luke what are you for a living? I'm an online. I'm a content creator. Full time though. Full, full time content creator. Yes. Luke, what is a radio DJ? It's a full time content creator. Luke, what is a chat show host? I I I completely agree. Radio DJs are an interesting one, as and TV presenters, because those have always been presented as those are skilled jobs that you've got to be really good at your craft because you've grown up with TV and radio and stuff. And celebrities do that sort of thing. Content creators are just. People are usually in their bedrooms or in their like streaming setups that they have got. It feels like, well, any bugger could do this. But I think a lot of it comes from it's it's a lot of it's jealousy. Yeah. Because I can't do this. I wish I was doing this. I'm stuck in a boring nine to five job in a cubicle doing data entry. And you're just sat there playing Call of Duty for 12 hours a day and being paid for it. That that's not a proper job. And you're just. Have you been reading my diary? <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a the, the the jealousy comes from that of like why didn't I, why aren't I getting this? Why don't I get to have that? And I think that's you read through some of the comments and people's hatred for the content creators and the streamers that are on this. Why isn't it the kids off the street? A have misremembered the show which we talked about last week, and B it's a complete jealousy thing of I'm a better games player than they are. I should be the person that's in that position. I mean, to be honest, the I could have done that is something we've had. I mean, that's a Games Master tradition. Is like we sat at home with the original Games Master going, I could have done that. I probably could have done that. Yeah, but I don't think I sit with jealousy, but I do have this thing where I think if I was younger, I think I would be in a different industry, in a different position to what I am now. Because when I was at university and when I was coming out of university, the internet did not exist. You know, I was already working for six years by the time, maybe more by the time YouTube came out. Mm -hmm. And certainly like almost a decade by the time it started to explode. And at that point, I'm just 
kind of too far down that career path to be able to afford to make the jump. But it doesn't mean I resent people that are able to do it. That any jealousy I get is just that thing of like, man, I wish I'd been in the position to be able to take that risk. I, I'm a similar boat to you because I I was at university in the mid-2000s. My final year of university, kind of painted a picture of where I was, was the first time that Facebook had really become a thing in the UK. It had been obviously in America for a while. But when my last year of university was when Facebook became the social media platform where people were leaving my space to go onto Facebook. In fact, actually, even the year after that, I remember having a conversation with someone who said, are you on Facebook? And he was like, I'm not on Facebook. I'm sticking with MySpace. You can create your own backgrounds on MySpace. I don't know why people are going over to Facebook. Luke, you can have gifts with sparkles. Well, exactly. You know, that, these Five the, songs on my profile. My top friend. These are the arguments. Actually, you could do that on Facebook as well in the early days. But anyway, these are the arguments that he was presenting to me. That's where I was. So I was not in that period of time when YouTube started to blow up and people started to become content creators. YouTube was just Charlie bit my finger and it was, you know, <laughs> meme videos. Or I love how many times you've referred to Charlie bit my finger over the course of this podcast. How are you trying to bring it back? So it's just like, <laughs> I think that is the perfect video to say that's what YouTube is. Chocolate Rain, that is a perfect video to say that is what YouTube used to be. 20 second videos. The Uma Uma lad. Mm. Jedi, Jedi kid. Like that is what YouTube used to be. It wasn't nostalgia critic and, and angry video game nerd. It wasn't all that. But if it was when I was at university, oh, you better believe I'd have been a content creator. Oh, I want to be content creator, and I'd have been making things because I had access to all of the university stuff. Mm. I had access to good cameras. I had access to great editing equipment, great sound. I would have been making YouTube videos of me playing video games because I would have had access to be able to do it. By the time that AVGN, Nostalgia Critic, Phalus, uh, Cinema Snob, all of these guys kind of came around, uh, uh, Alison, um, you know, this and the other, I had a full-time job, a full-time girlfriend, and not time to be able to do that sort of thing. So I just looked on and I just watched the videos being like, man, I wish I could do that. You know what we said with Consolvania? Yeah. Which like, I wish I had the time to make that show. And I wish I'd have made that show when I was at university. That's what I I, I had. It's only again until 2017 that I actually became a full-time content creator. And that's only because I knew a guy who yeah. kind of like gave me gave me like my start in there because I'd been podcasting with him for uh, seven years previous to that. I'm not going to be like a nostalgia critic or a gaming historian or Tom Scott or any of those type of people. But I'm also just at a point where I just want to be able to consistently shove shit out the door, you know, like we've been doing for the past three years. I mean, 200 episodes in three years. That's what we're at. Immensely proud of it. But I would just like to be able to take it to the next level. Of course, yeah. But anyway, what I'm basically saying is there are a lot of people that are resentful of people like, hey, pal, <laughs> um, I'm not. I just wish I had the chance. And I can vocalize that without punching down on someone. No, it's a you thing. And I want to say you think it's old people having a pop at the youth for, you know, being able to have this opportunity. Like, you know, when I was a teenager, I was making jackass videos because that was that was the style of the time. But I just never knew where to load them up to. You know, I'd load them up to a, like a BitTorrent thing for three people to download. And in a way, I'm grateful that only three people downloaded because I don't want anyone finding that. I don't want anyone finding the shit that I made when I was a teenager. If anyone has it, please get in touch with me. <laughs> yeah. Don't contact via the official under-consultation oh, channel because I'll just delete that email and, and <laughs> find you. And uh, how did you find this? At Ash Versus on Twitter. <laughs>
Anyway, but, yeah. content creators, um, Games Master finds some fascinating creatures, and I agree. <laughs> I agree. I find them fascinating creatures as well. I'm obsessed with the world of Twitch. Uh, we've been dipping our toe into the world of Twitch uh, recently in the, the content creation world that I work within, the company that I work for. We have YouTube and Twitch wanted to do some stuff with us and be like, oh, cool, we'll do a board game channel because Twitch are like, we want to diversify what Twitch is because what it currently is, is people playing video games, people chatting, and women in plastic hot tubs. What we'd like to do is add maybe another couple of wings of what of what Twitch can be. Also, uh, you know, moving on from sort of like uh, Twitch stream and stuff, I forgot how dark this joke is that it ends on because... K-Pow gets teleported back up to the, the power station and Gizmos goes, next! And a severed head pops through because the teleporter fucks up and cuts the guy in half. Gamesmaster kills a challenger before they even get to do a challenge because obviously they die afterwards. Yeah, I was going to say, Gamesmaster prematurely kills a challenger, which, you know, it happens to us all of a certain age. But I, I love the fact that despite the fact it is very clearly a fake plastic head, it doesn't look too convincing. Otherwise, I doubt it would have made it into the edit. I love the wet thud it makes when it hits yeah, yeah. the floor. And almost the non-delivery from Trev. Yeah. I, I just, it, it made me chuckle. It made me chuckle then, it makes me chuckle now. I like that joke a lot. What an entrance. I'm great at an entrance. <laughs> yeah, you seem really excited. Are you excited? I am excited. Look at this. It's amazing, amazing right? It's amazing to be on Games Master. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> you're a streamer, right? Yeah, full-time content creator. A full-time yeah, full content job. creator. No, and this challenge in Deathloop, you have to get into a lab and you have to kill this scientist who has cloned himself in 90 seconds. I'm going to go quite far here and say that this might be the most difficult challenge of the whole series. I like a challenge, so I wasn't going to do one as easy. <laughs> K-Pow strikes me as the sort of person that I would have met, here's a deep cut for anyone in Reading, I'd have met in the Purple Turtle in Reading Town Centre in the mid to late 2000s, and I would have been introduced to her by a friend of mine who said, you've got to be my mate Kay, she's really funny. And I'd have met her, and my first instinct would be like, oh, you're a bit much. And then I would actually really want to be like, no, you're fucking hilarious. And I, I know exactly why my friend introduced me to you, because you and I are going to get on really, really well. It was the same thing with Ketchup and Mustard. It was good. I've, I've just finished the edit of episode one, just as we were sitting down to record this. And I was just, you know, listening back to the clips and I was re-watching the, you know, the, the episode and everything while I was getting the clips together for the podcast. And I just thought, I was like, I actually just really would like to be friends with these two, because I just think they're just really cool people. And we're friendly with them. We speak to them. I'm not friends with them, though. But at least I can be, you know, friendly with them online. Like if we interact online, they know who I am. And yeah. I've got that with like a lot of the sort of Twitch streamers that we've seen throughout Games Master. Be like, oh man, I think they'd just be really cool to chat with. And that's ob and that obviously why you know if you're one of those people that are jealous of Twitch streamers, maybe that's what you want to try and be. Because the reason why a lot of Twitch streamers are successful is because they're just nice people that people want to hang around with. Since I've started Twitch streaming again under the under console pod handle, I have been having the time of my life because also I'm making connections on Twitch that are nothing to do with Games Master. Like people are raiding, I'm raiding people, I'm meeting people via recommendations of who to go and raid and getting follows. And I'm just like, this is cool. This is fun. And whilst it can be a bit high pressure, particularly if you realise you're really stinking at a game, it's a lot of fun to do it. And like, it's Wednesday now, I'm streaming tomorrow night. I put up a poll and people will decide which of the three options I play. 
And I just, I'll be honest, I've kind of stacked it because I want to play all three games. But also I'm quite happy to leave that decision. Mm. And they make the point here that this might be the most difficult challenge of the whole series. I disagree. I think next week's challenge is the most difficult. I think the FIFA challenge is the hardest oh, God, challenge. Because yeah. that, that is borderline impossible. FIFA challenge or Call of Duty. I know you weren't a fan of it, but oh, on yeah. a pure difficulty level, absolutely, it was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah the, the challenge was not for me, but I appreciate how difficult of a challenge that was. So I'm not, not downplaying this one. This is a hard-as-nails challenge. But I don't think it is the most difficult one. I, I genuinely think next week's one is... I mean, like, you know, even Shells would have said... And in fact, he did say, I won't be able to do this because it's, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. A lot of people will prefer to play it as a stealth game, but you've only got 90 seconds. You're going to have to go, quite frankly, balls to the wall. Full pew, 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 pew. Full <laughs> pew, pew, pew. I remember you really enjoying this the first time around, this whole, like, you need to go full balls to the wall or full... Pew, pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. That was my intro uh, the first time round. And yeah, Frankie with the lock and load gesture. Yep. Loved it. And this is an interesting challenge in the sense of there's a challenge before the challenge. Yeah. I, I wonder, did they put this in there either A, because of where the kind of load point is, like that was the best load point that they could get, or to make sure they had some of the game in case they died immediately because she got through the first bit of the lab and like took out a bunch of them. But when you go into that kind of spiral staircase structure, if one of them gets to the alarm, the doors are sealed and you die from gas mm. immediately. Right. It is possible to literally die before the challenge has actually started on this one, depending on which route into the base you take. So I guess they kept this in there just in case K-Pow died immediately. Well, yeah, because she only lasts a minute in this challenge. It's kind of almost the same length of time as the Call of Duty challenge last week. So because the challenge in Bucky O'Hare is it's only a minute long, you actually get a good two minutes out of the challenge, really, because you have all the pre-challenge stuff. And as someone who doesn't know this game and as someone who hadn't seen this game up until this point, that's all the cool stuff because you get to see what the game is like. And as you said, it was a brand new game at the time. Mm. So, yeah, I think it was smart to have the pre-challenge before the actual challenge, which is actually just getting into the lab. Also, it adds a nice little bit of jeopardy to it. She could fail before the challenge has even started. If you had the time to play this game, I think you would actually really enjoy this I game. I probably would do. Because it's got a very retro setting. It's got like really fun game mechanics. It is a first-person shooter, but there's a lot of like goofiness with it. And you can either just play the story and just motor through it, or you can go off and do all the various side quests and bits and pieces. Mm. But yeah, it to me... It is probably my favourite kind of first-person shooter-type game of the past four or five years. Mm -hmm. Like it, it really just lands with me, and um, I wasn't sure I'd like it. And it was only when it dropped on Game Pass that I'm like, "Cool, let's go." Yeah, let's give it a go. Because Kay, like you know, nearly dies before even getting into the system. She loses half of her life. Does heal before she goes in, and that's where she's got to kill fifteen of these lads. And there's one minute to go, so she's. I say, but I was about to say she's only been there for a minute. She doesn't. This challenge is 30 seconds long if you remove the, the, the preamble. So she's only in there for 30 seconds, but does have nine kills. So she's well over halfway. And then she triggers the security camera and in an instant is dead. It is just, she just gets taken out. I think I would have liked this challenge more if, okay, maybe she had to do the bit beforehand and we didn't see that. But rather than go 90 seconds and you've got to run and gun it, it's a case of we're giving you three minutes. We're giving you twice the time 
Now, that is attainable, but you would have the ability to do a bit of stealth. It would still be very tense, but you would have the ability to utilize stealth right up until the end. And mm -hmm. I think it would be a much more interesting challenge. I think it would be much more kind of like um, tense. I think it'd be a much more interesting challenge because I think the tension of will she get spotted by the security guards? Uh, will, you mm -hmm. know, cameras get her? Will she be gassed? The, all that stuff can come into play. Whereas if you're running and gunning it, yes, all of those things are going to happen. Yeah. I do think it's a good challenge, though. Yeah, I really like this one. It just all got a bit too much in there. Yeah, I know. In the moment, with the panic, I forgot to shoot the security cameras. So. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I knew it was a tough one. You had to go fast. You couldn't sneak around. Time was running short. I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Frankie, how did you see it? Well, it's exactly what Kay said, I think, in the rush to try and take out the Wengies. You didn't take out the security cameras, and that meant all the Wengies came running. Oops. I mean, I, I think she kind of sums it up at the end of this when she's like, it all just got too much. And it really is that that's the case of it, because her health just depletes. It is just... Ba, 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 dead. Oh, having now played this game to completion, there are numerous points in this game where that just happens. Yeah, and she forgot to shoot out the cameras. And Rab's like, I get it. Frankie, what did you think? <laughs> it's like, did you get it, Rab? Or he just thrown to Frankie to give us an answer here. But yeah, it's just like, you know, because she had to rush, because she had to speed run this, because she had to bum rush into this place, you're just going to forget that one thing. Well, you might forget that one thing. And unfortunately, she did forget that one thing. And that was the downfall. And speaking of downfall, off to the abyss you go. Top quality abyss acting from K-Pow here. Ah! Help me! Ah! From death loop to, well, death. <laughs> Proper screams into it. I like that. Trev with a pretty good zinger there that probably meant nothing to him. <laughs> <laughs> Video game designers have a long history of justifying why female characters tasked with saving the world, battling it out in fistfights, or assassinating deadly enemies have to look like an apocalyptic FHM cover. Going somewhere? As a real-life woman, I have a lot of questions about the practicality of women's armour in video games. How do they stop those teeny tiny knickers cutting them in half during high kicks? How much nipple tape did they have to use to secure their bikini while showing off just the perfect amount of side boob? And how the hell are they finding the time to remove all their body hair from the neck down in the middle of a wall? I decided to gather the Games Master lads to get them to test out how a famously controversial female video game combat outfit compares to armour worn by male characters. So, Ram is testing out Big Daddy from Bioshock. Built for protection, Big Daddies don't even have an ankle on show. Then, Ty is in a Call of Duty ghillie suit, specifically designed with camouflage in mind. Ty is also covered from head to toe. And now for Kratos. His character is a deadly assassin who, according to video game lore, can only breathe through her skin, which is why the armor looks like this. That's right, ladies. It's quiet from Metal Gear Solid 5. So, yep, here we are. This is the this is the segment. Uh, here is what I wrote in my notes the first time round. Uh-oh, I think a few people might get really angry about this. I checked the comments, everyone. They did. And as I said earlier, we now know that this VT started as something different. It was filmed as something different. At least one section that was cut out of it. And then Frankie went in and did voiceover work. And it became a different segment. And quiet as a character, I mean, how can you best describe it? 
it's very Kojima. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, don't get me wrong. I love a lot of Kojima's games, but he's a weird guy, and he's got some interesting ideas, like going all the way back to Police Noughts and Snatcher. Like, he's got some interesting ideas about women. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. I don't think it's done from a position of maliciousness because he is very he is an exploitation director for video games at times, but he will exploit like anyone. I mean, Metal Gear Solid 1, there's plenty of Solid Snake running around with his Solid Snake out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess he's an equal opportunity uh, 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 exploitation man. But also the, the logic behind Quiet's outfit is Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> there's a, a line, unfortunately, it is said by someone who is now a problematic person, but there's a line in uh, the Matt Stone and Trey Parker movie, Orgasmo, when they're talking about who porn exploits. You pig. You're the one responsible for degrading all of those women. Hey, hey, what about men, huh? He degrades them too. Yeah, men are equally degraded in pornographic films. The men are always in a position of power. The men are the one who want the product so bad. They're the victims. Well, then it exploits men by exploiting women. Hence, it exploits people. And that's what Kojima does. Yeah, I do think with Quiet, they started with a character design and then worked out the justification backwards. It's almost like a joke where you work out the punchline, then you have to work out how to get there. Yeah, I I think almost in a way that, that same logic can be applied to this segment. Because the punchline is, let's put Grado in a bikini. How do we get to that point? I love Grado in this. It's the way he does the actually the proper old school wrestler thing of like, <laughs> and then promptly gets a vegetable to the plums. He proper gets done like dinged in the nads. Yeah, in slow mo. In slow mo. <laughs> it's really like just the first up is like, is this a stitch up? Like, it's really, really good. And you got Rab, this is a bit of a running commentary throughout the, the show as well, of him going over his contract, which is a, a nice little Dominic Diamond throwback as well, because yeah. Dom used to do a lot of that in the original run while he's in that massive big daddy suit. And Ty is, well, he's Ty, he's just there and he's having a little dance. Yeah, he's 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 having fun. He wins. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. that's it. Ty, Ty is essentially in this, the straight man. You know, he's yeah. the one that's got the sensible costume, being the ghillie suit. He unfortunately doesn't have a huge amount to do in it. It's not like the set days. Yeah, it is, sadly. But but it also just sets up that Grado is being degradoded. Very nice. No, that was convoluted. That didn't work. <laughs> and and Rab is inside a Big Daddy costume that we never see get across the barbed wire of assault course because... Yeah. It ain't happening. No, he just gets absolutely stuck. Grado gets stuck in the tyres. You have to call the fire department to deflate the tyres. And yeah, just Ty just goes off. Uh, you know, I think uh, Frankie's final line of um, uh, give women pockets is something that still rings true to this day. It's actually something that I'd uh, campaigned for on the WrestleTalk podcast in 2018, I think. I went on this big tirade about like, why don't women's clothes have pockets? It's a fine segment, I guess, but I don't think it really works i think it's the weakest part of this episode it is the weakest part of this episode but i don't find it as offensive as some people do and those people i think mainly just want an excuse to masturbate over video game characters yeah, i think you yeah it's, and to be honest if that's your thing just, that's cool but not the kink shame no it's not whatever floats your boat long as it doesn't sing anyone else's ship like i think that's absolutely fine if you want to have a pop because tifa's tits are smaller in the final fantasy 7 remake than they were pixelated in the original 
you you crack on, mate. I I guess, <laughs> or or crack off as it could be. <laughs> it's a good job we're almost at the end of this one because I think we're lo- we're going to lose some of our audience with that. Actually, no. Chances are we'd have lost them already. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, it's time to get into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For this next challenge, I've chosen Override 2 Super Mech League. It's a ferociously fast-paced and explosive battle where choosing the right mech is incredibly important, as each has its own individual combat style. Challengers would also need to use their environment to their advantage by launching buildings at their opponent and whatever else they can get their hands on. This will be a single round, a one versus one battle to the death. I didn't have much to say about this game the first time round. No. Uh, I don't have much to say about it now. I still don't really have any desire to play it other than seeing there is an Ultraman edition out. Oh, cool. And I was just like, oh, well, if I'd seen there was a version with Ultraman characters in, because it is very much that old school Godzilla kind of like... Save, save the Earth. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the GameCube and the PS2 era yeah, titles. Unleashed and that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. If I'd seen that there was a version with Ultraman characters in and I'd seen it on sale, then I might have gone, oh, okay. Because if nothing else, I do like a bit of Tokatsu-type man-in-suit action stuff. I, I honestly, this game... It appeals to me in a certain sense of big mechs beating the piss out of each other. That's always a lot of fun. But if this had a Godzilla license on it, I probably would have bought this. And I know that for a fact because I bought the Godzilla game that's on the PS4. Not, and everyone had told me it was rubbish. Everyone had told me it's not a good game. But the, it was the first game I bought for my PS4 when I got it. It's an okay game. It's an okay game. I had a good time with it. 
the one thing I've never got to do with that Godzilla game is play it as a couch versus. And I think that is where it would kind of benefit. Uh, yeah, and I think actually it doesn't have a couch versus mode really? on it. I think it's, it's online only. Oh, that's stupid. Yeah, because I don't think many people had it. So like, no. it actually would have benefited it from having an, like a, couch, a couch cult version. Yeah, that's really daft. Yeah. Oh, well. It's also a fun fact I found out uh, through my, my, my time on Instagram. It's worth a lot of money. Oh, it's, yeah. It's rare as rockin' or shits, apparently. Yeah, I think I said before, you've got the foundation for a conservatory there. <laughs> ah, games master. I've missed you. Who are you? It's, it's me, games master. It's, it's Warren. Um, Warren Brown? Hmm. Strikeback? No. Luther? No? No? Sorry, no. Now, you're going up against the almighty little lad Larry. Do you feel confident? Oh, I'm very confident, Games Master. You can leave now. Cheers, Games Master. You look different, but really good. Thanks. I got my hair in. Wait, Hollyoaks? Warren Brown is our celebrity this week, and I do like the gag of Warren knows who Games Master is. But Games Master does not know who Warren is. They're almost playing up like, and this is all on Warren, really, because obviously Warren's just doing this on a green screen to a camera operator and, you know, the, the green screen director. And at that point, there was no lines for Games Master. But he'd almost come in with this character of he'd met Games Master at a party. They were like both at a party years ago. And Warren Brown remembers the interactions that they had, but the Games Master does not remember him at all. Because he's like, like that's me, Warren Brown. You know, I was I was, I was in these shows, and Gizmo was like, "Nope, I can't place you. You look different, but good." I've had my hair done. <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "Wait, Holly? Was it Hollyoaks you were in?" Yeah. Oh, it, it's a fun segment, and I love how Rab just like goes straight for the jugular of going. You die a lot, don't you? Well, even worse than that, it's like, why are you a celebrity? <laughs> Good question. And uh, there's Rab brings up something here that you and I have actually accused previous celebrities of on this very podcast of writing their own Wikipedia pages, um, that he is a, a former Thai boxer. But he's wearing the wrong trousers. He can't show that off. Well, yes, because the, the penguin put him in them. Oh, that's where Games Master knows him from. He was in <laughs> Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> Ty, on the other hand, oh man, he'll take any opportunity to stand up and do a little high kick and say bam really loudly. <laughs> yeah, but he's good at it. He is good at it. Back when I was a wayward teenager, Games Master was busy creating a gaming legend. He was unbeatable, an icon to young gamers across the nation. They called him Big Boy Barry. But now, the Padawan has surpassed the Jedi. Now the new generation has their own hero to worship. And it's past his bedtime. I, this might be... No, this is my favourite of the Little Lad Larry intros. I do like the Padawan has surpassed the Jedi, but next week the boy has surpassed the God of War. Uh, yeah. I think it is really good. because it, it was very timely as well. Uh, but I do love the line of, a new hero to worship, and it's past his bedtime. And Little Lad Larry himself has his best intro, which <laughs> is just like, his dad is a very good one. <laughs> He made me born. He made him born. He made me born. I actually, I, I think I missed this the first time I watched this. Well, Rab picks up on that when he's like leading off into sense. He's just like, he made him born. He's going to make you dead. So yeah. before they go off to the challenge. I definitely missed that the first time round. Very, very quick. Something I noticed this time round that I didn't notice before is sure there's a little bit of smack talk backwards and forwards. 
one remembers Barry. He was a hero. Larry's a zero. I said then, and I'll say now, Warren, you're talking smack to a child. <laughs> Larry has a pun. That's good. It's when we get to the actual challenge, Larry does not shut up. <laughs> like you can hear him, whether he's mic'd or not, Larry is talking constantly. And I can't work out if that's just a Larry thing or if he is literally smack-talking Warren, because it, Warren does look slightly off-put by this. This is an odd challenge in the sense of it feels that it's all Larry. Because Larry has got one simple tactic here. We talked about this the, you know, the first time around, but he's got one simple tactic here, which is you use the EMP burst, stun them, throw them, and then head on over to the orange area to charge up your super move. Rinse and repeat. If you don't charge up your super fully, just run back, EMP, grab them, throw them, and then run back and charge again. Rinse and repeat. It's a lot like you did in the Splatoon challenge last week where you essentially just spawn camps. But it's actually quite even, like, health-wise by the end of this. Like, Warren is getting his digs in. I don't know where he's getting these digs in, because it looks like he doesn't get them in. Mm. But he is getting digs in somehow. I wonder if it's the edit. I wonder, did they edit to make Larry look more dominant if we're missing when Warren's getting offense. Or also, there is the chance that actually the offense just looks bad. If Warren doesn't actually know how to play the game and therefore his damage hits are looking scrappy, messy or accidental, you might as well just cut it because actually all that does is just make the game look shit. I think there might be a case of that. I also think because he gets a gun at one point, so he's doing lots of long range. So you might be doing like a lot of like incremental yeah. damage to him because it's only later on that Larry starts to block the the incoming fire. But yeah, he just he rinse and repeats his process. He's got a tactic and he's sticking to it, and it works out for him because he wins. I think it is the the weakest of the three celebrity challenges. It's I, I, and I think it comes down to the game more than it is anything else. But yeah, it's 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 not a great celebrity challenge. It's a shame because Warren is great. Yeah, Warren's Larry really is, good. Larry is absolutely like cracking in this. He is so funny. He's so on fire. And so yeah, the game does let it down a bit, I guess. Also, I think in this one as well, we have the the first shot of the kids that are in the audience. I'd wager they were probably there day one, like probably the early. It was, you know, the first thing they shot was the little lad Larry stuff because well, it was past his bedtime by the time he would have got home. Uh, yeah. And no joke, he would have had school the next day. Um, but yeah, they show the kids in the audience, which I think is quite nice because, you know, that's his... The, it's weird to say that that's going to be the target demo for them because the show is at 10pm. And I, that, again, I, I, you know, I, I kind of talked myself into making this point. And it feels like the show often doesn't know who its audience is. No. I mean, I suppose YouTube, it's available yeah, all time, I day guess. or night, but... It has a warning at the start about violence and stuff. Yeah. Because there's a severed head. At the at the top of the episode, we've had Mortal Kombat. Deathloop had a fair amount of blood in it. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of gruesome killing in in Deathloop. So yeah, it's it's a little, it's a good choice because it's thematic for for little lad Larry, and this, they use the same shot in next week's episode. But it's almost like I'm not sure who this is here for, other than to be mm. a connection to the original. And even then, as we've discussed, it's a fairly flimsy connection to the original. And in fact, some of the voiceover work on this episode and episode three does make the connection sound a lot stronger than it is. Yeah. But I that's revisionist history in television. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Little Lad Larry as well cops to it. It's just like, I had my strategies to take him down and I stuck to them. And Frankie really puts over Larry's style because he used an ultimate to finish off. It's one of my favorite things to do in X-Men versus Street Fighter 
was to make sure you win with a double super because then you get the big comic book background yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Always rad. But Larry delivers the thumbs down. And Warren is one of the few people that actually acts up with the gatekeepers a bit. Yeah. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. We get it a little bit next week as well. I was like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Rather than just sort of being taken off. And as he dies, Games Master just has the final sting of, Oh, Luther. I remember now. Well, unfortunately, like the little executive he is, Luke has had to go and make a a few uh, very important decisions, I think, relating to the numbers one and two. So he'll be in the little meeting room for a while. Thankfully, I've got someone else to talk about the Bouncing Bum Bum section with. I'm joined by one of the developers, maybe the lead developer of Bouncing Bum Bums, Quang. Hello. From uh, Asobi Tech. Am I pronounced that right? That's correct, yes. Asobi Tech, yeah. Amazing. Perfect. To start off and get get a bit of background on yourself, we are both of a similar vintage. So I'm guessing you grew up with Games Master much like I did. Very much so. Um, yeah, uh, we'd rush home from school and watch the TV. Uh, and you'd get the ki- kids block of TV, so CITV and CBBC, and then come six o'clock, uh, Games Master will roll around. And as someone who's obsessed with video games, Games Master was essential viewing and whilst you were watching games master and you're watching kind of what at the time was cutting edge as we went from the the nes into the mega drive into the super nintendo and beyond what were you kind of playing at home what was your home gaming access um so i think by the time games master came out i just got my game boy and we had got in a super nintendo and i was making video games on the atari st so you're playing games on the consoles, but developing on the home computer. What sort of things were you getting into on the Atari ST? So there was a programming language called STOS, STOS Basic, um, and it allowed you to make really simple games. And it was the first time it allowed me to uh, write code and have sprites and music. And it felt like making, making a game was before I was working on the ZX Spectrum and Spectrum Basic, and that was extremely limited. But with STOS Basic, it felt like you could make games. Um, I made a simple uh, platform game, um, simple shooting up uh, and a puzzle game, really simple stuff. I, I was still uh, in my late teens by then, so still very early days. Uh, you mentioned the Game Boy there was uh, one of the uh, the consoles you had, and I think it was during the late nineties you first kind of looked at doing a an update, your own take on the classic game Jetpack, which first appeared on uh, the Vic Twenty Spectrum and Spectrum. I think uh, was where Spectrum Jetpack first, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you looked at uh, putting your own spin on it in 1999. There we go. I found my notes. Uh, What was it that drew you to Jetpack and then also brought you back to it some, I guess, 20 years later when we were in the dark times? Jetpack is probably the first game I saw on the ZX Spectrum. We visited a family friend's home and they had a, a Spectrum there and they were playing Jetpack and it just blew me away how incredible it was. It was such a smooth arcade experience out in your home. And before that, games... Uh, were very clunky and, and very um, computery like but jetpack was had this arcade quality about it and it was the first game i fell in love with so when i got a spectrum i played tons of jetpack and thinking when i started making games for the game boy it was um, a really great way to s- start developing because rather than worrying about what you're making you can uh, copy something and then translate it for the new platform so you're spending all your time learning the new hardware, learning the systems, rather than worrying about what game you're making. 
But also, not only did you create it as a homebrew and make it available as a paid downloadable ROM, it also went onto a physical cartridge you can plug into the classic DMG and beyond. How was it actually seeing your game on a physical cartridge and being able to plug it into the original hardware and just have it come up? It was an incredible experience because as a child, you'd never think you could make a console game. It's one of those things where you think it's magical elves in another uh, dimension making these games for you. you. You have no concept of who actually makes these games. So being able to take the the game I made in 1999 and then update it, um, make it more modern, I guess, because game sensibilities have, have moved on quite a lot since then. Um, and then having the ability to create a box, a manual, and physical cartridges for it, uh, which is incredible. We shipped it all around the world, over 25 different countries around the world, from Australia to Japan to Thailand to Canada, all over the place. It was great. It's just to know that people around the world are playing my game on a Game Boy. It's, 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 it's just uh, it's a childhood dream come true. But speaking of childhood dreams come true, I guess in a way, because much like me, I'm sure you watched Games Master as a kid and you were like, oh, I want to be there. Or you're watching the challenges and you're thinking, I could do that. I, I wouldn't have lost that challenge. I'd have done that. But then we fast forward to 2021 and Games Master's announced as coming back. They started reaching out for contestants. They started reaching out for challengers. But also, much like the classic Games Master, they were looking to create features and other aspects of the show that weren't just based around challenges. And one of those was this idea of creating a game that was designed to a child's specification. When making something for E4, it's got to have three things. It's got to appeal to the youth, it's got to be bang up to date, and it's got to be cool. So that means mostly loads of dubstep. First off, for it to be as bang up to date as possible, we needed specialist game developers who could put together an entire game just before the show goes live. Then, to cynically manipulate the kids into playing our game, we needed to find out what the kids wanted to see in it by sitting on wee chairs and asking, well, kids. What do you think would be the best game you can imagine. Um, you ride snakes around a village and get weapons. Oh, what do we need weapons for? Uh, killing animals. You have like bouncing butts. Why bums? To me, uh, they're funny. It's funny. Bums are funny. Who would be the hero in it? A wolf. A wolf? A wolf. Here to trampoline onto a field. So are the animals bad animals? Uh, chickens bad. Do they lay eggs? They lay bombs and they, um, and then they explode you. Is there a baddie in this game? You fight against a robot that has like three and two eyes and it has a bum bum mouth. Has a what mouth? Bum bum mouth. Who is the person riding the snake? Um, Ralph. Why is Ralph going to save the village? Uh, because he's the only person left. What because, happened to all the other people? Um, they've turned into cows. The end result was bouncing bum-bums. But how on earth did you get involved in this? How, how did they even start to reach out looking for a development team? Yeah, so obviously we also heard the news that Gatesmaster was coming back. And uh, as the excited kid in me uh, heard the news, it, it was great love to see games must come back and um and then they announced trevor and it was oh that's a genius piece casting and uh trevor nailed it 
uh, a friend of ours, Jupiter Hadley, she's a journalist uh, in video games. Um, she was contacted to find development teams to work on this, and she knows we've done a lot of game jams in the past. Uh, I've probably done between 40 and 50 game jams in the past, uh, some wow. in person and some uh, some online. Uh, so it's something that we knew really well. We were in the process of making our second Game Boy game um, diffused, and we were getting ready to showcase the game at EGX uh, that year, uh, which means we didn't really have the time to be doing anything else apart from getting the game ready for the show. But you get the call, it's Games Master, and they're like, uh, we want you to make a video game for us uh, in a very short amount of time. Uh, originally, they were looking for uh, individual people and they were going to make teams out of these people. But I was like, I have a team already. I have an artist, a musician, uh, a producer, and myself on code and, and we all designed together. And I was like, we have a team ready to go if you want. Um, we don't really have much time in terms of uh, free time. In the time we have free because, again, we're getting ready for EGX. Uh, but we can't really say no to Games Master. So uh, we got everyone together uh, in the same place and we buckled down and we made uh, bouncing bum bums. Now, it's uh, something that we've also encountered elsewhere in this series of Games Master in that what we saw on the screen was not what was originally filmed or intended because originally there was another team also creating a game. There was going to be actually a competitive aspect in that and I'm just wondering, is like, were you aware of what the other team were doing or were you kept in complete isolation from each other during that period? Yeah, so we were completely unaware of what the other team were doing, or teams, actually. We were told it was going to be a competitive game jam where a bunch of people uh, make games and they were going to judge which is the best one and use that um, as, as the framework for the, for the piece. I wasn't actually aware of how many other teams there were. I did later find out who the developers were for the other game. Uh, they released their game on Itch, so you can go see what they made um, for Games Master. And, uh, but that wasn't much until later, until after the fact uh, the, of the airing of the show. With regards to the actual kind of challenge itself, the game itself, you've got your team, you're assembled, you've got your time limit. How did you find out what your themes were like did they give you a printed brief or did they just show you the video footage of the presenters interviewing children yeah so they brought us all into a uh, uh a room and they had us uh, briefed with what we were doing as a whole um and they wanted to film footage for the the show as well because when you see the the vt you'll see clips of us discussing and designing uh, in, in, a, in a what looks like an office i guess and um they showed us the the videotape of i say videotape <laughs> that's how old i am <laughs> uh, they showed us the clip of, of them interviewing the kids and asking the kids what they wanted in the game so as the kids were going oh we we want um angry chickens so we write it down we want cows we write it down we want this and that everything they mentioned we wrote it down so the idea was to take everything the kids could think of and everything they mentioned to put it in the game there was actually a bunch of stuff that we wanted to put in the game but we ran out of time and we didn't have time to put it into the game but uh again that's part of game jams um we did as much as we could and i think we got the ideas down best we could. Uh, where did the conscious decision to make it a, a mobile game or, or a suitable for mobile game come from? Was that a case of ease of development or was it thinking target audience, kids play mobiles? Um, it's something that I, I've 
come to learn from previous game jams. If you're looking to win a game jam, you have to look at what the judging criteria is, who is judging it and who is looking at it. Because we were told the kids were going to play it. And the idea was to put it onto web. So not necessarily mobile. It was actually a web-based game. So that would also work on mobile. So touchscreen controls that were workable. That means the more people can play it. The more people you can play it, the more exposure it gets and, and the more people see it. So that was definitely a conscious decision to put it on a web for um, make it available for mobile as well. How was the 72 hours itself? Like, how did it compare to previous Game Jam? And did you feel, I guess, extra pressure because this was for a TV show? And not only just a TV show, but, but Games Master, something that you have, you know, a personal history watching. And I imagine many of your co-conspirators did as well. The pressures of doing a game jam in a short time are quite ridiculous, to be honest. Um, Usually if it's a weekend game jam, uh, 24 or 48 hours, um, you just pretty much power power through and do it there. At 72 hours, it's a little bit weirder because you you need to sleep at some point. And if, if you're trying to stay up for 72 hours in a row, you're no longer productive. So you need to pace yourself and, you know, treat it like a marathon rather than a sprint. Um, I've done game jams, which are a week long or two, two weeks long or even a month long. And you just treat it like almost like a hobby. Like you do a few hours here, a few hours there, and, and you try to stay fresh with it. Uh, we spent two hours. We came in strong. We got the design done. We got all the prototyping done and then made conscious effort to go to sleep at a reasonable time, come back in the morning, try again, uh, carry on and do that. So, yeah, I think we paced it about right. Uh, we could have done with another half a day or so just to finish things off and add the few things that we were miss- we missed out on. Of the things you missed out on, which would you have most liked to have gotten in there? Um, so one of the things the kids mentioned, um, I think you'll cut from the clip, though, is uh, they talked about making drinks. <laughs> um, so mixing uh, fruit and stuff, uh, making cocktails. Uh, non-alcoholic cocktails, of course, because they're kids. But um, in the game, we were going to have it for bonus points. You would run around, collect different fruits. So you collect pineapples, strawberries, and so, so forth. Um, and every time you picked up three different things, it would show a, a different cocktail. So we had combinations of it. So if you put three pineapples, it would be a pineapple drink, uh, a pineapple or a coconut, and something else, it would show another drink and then give you points for that. So it's just a, a nice a nice idea that uh, you could run around and try to unlock and find out which drinks were available and what combination of fruits made which drinks. It was just like raw child energy in in those interview sections and the description i think particularly of the boss like how when you saw stuff like that how did you even like think about approaching that uh <laughs> our, our artist uh lucan who did the wonderful artwork on it he's uh He's got a wonderful childlike quality about him in terms of his creativity and his imagination and uh, imagination. <laughs> imagination. Uh, and he, yeah, he, he he literally just took the ideas and, and, and absorbed them and then spat out some wonderful concept drawings. And it was just incredible to see, I say, this childlike energy and his unfiltered ideas. At first, I thought maybe you know a lot when we ask kids about video games. If they've played video games themselves, they would lean heavily on that and they would say, oh, we want something like Minecraft or like Roblox or something like because that's what they know. But these kids didn't seem to have any real video game knowledge uh, beforehand. So they came up with beautiful ideas, wonderful ideas that you, you just were so left field. Uh, the fact that you know, the chickens were angry and they were bouncing around with bums. Uh, we had uh, the wolf riding on a snake um, and it was just... These, these wonderful ideas and um, the kids, you couldn't, 
have a better brainstorming session than that. But originally, we weren't told what the name of the game was going to be. Uh, they just gave us a bunch of ideas um, to come up with. And uh, the name we came up with originally was um, Bom Ching Kao Wow, as in Bom Ching Kao Wow. Because <laughs> 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 basically the elements of the game, we had, we had bombs, we had chickens, we had cows. Uh, so yeah, we, we, took, we took it as an onomatopoeic um, play on words. But the... Uh, when we sent the first draft of the game over to the production team, they went, oh, the kids really want it to be called Bouncing Bum Bums, and that's where we want to go with that. I'm like, I'll be honest, it's not my first choice of names, uh, as we said, um, but it's grown on me a lot, and, and, and it, it has the right irreverence and, and the right um, fun factor, I guess, for, for, for the game, and the kids loved it, so Bouncing Bum Bums it is. It is the sort of name that only a child could come up with. Very much so. I don't know if you remember uh, in the earlier years, the magazines would run competitions for kids to make video games, yeah. uh, design video games. And one of them was a supermarket tro- super trolley, I think it was called, uh, about racing a, a supermarket trolley around uh, a course. And yeah, super trolley is only something a, a kid could come up with. So you got to the end of the game jam. You handed over a game that is playable. I mean, it's still out there and you can still go and play it now. What happened next from your perspective? Did it just go silent? Were you in touch with the production team? Like, like how much uh, knowledge did you have of what the finished video was going to look like before it was broadcast? At this time, we still believed that the game was going to be part of a game jam competition sort of thing. So the kids were going to play both games um, and then decide which one they liked most and that would, they would choose that as the winner. Um, then at some point we were told that we were going to be the only game and it's going to be run as competition. I believe we, got, we were going to have Ty play the game against someone else and they would try to see who had the best score. Um, that's, I believe that's the format they, they, they were discussing. Um, they invited us in to, to, uh, for one of the filming days. Uh, we went in on the Thursday, if I remember correctly. Like all the other days, I believe they all ran long, so they didn't have time to film any of the Bouncing Bum Bum stuff during that filming day. So, yeah, we didn't quite know what they were going to do with it in the end and how they're going to spin it. We knew we ran out of time on the filming day, so that idea was out the, out the window. Um, and what they pulled together was incredible. It, it worked so well, using the little kid a, 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 as the um, executive and then playing the game and then Rab then uh, not happy about the game, but the kid's loving it, which was great. And um, it was a good contrast with Rab being this grumpy old guy and the kids being all energetic. I, I love what they've done with it. Hey, 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 the boss just appeared. He's got two and three eyes and he's got a bum bum mouth. Could this have saved the game? Spoiler, no. Take that, you big buddy bum bum. I need to be honest here, I'm... I'm hating this. I'm hating every moment of this. <laughs> but who cares what I think? The only approval we need is that of the most senior executive at E4. The head honcho. The big cheese. Oscar. 
I think they've done a very good job of the game because it's just as I imagined it. Thank you, sir. If the cows get hit by chicken eggs, that's when they're explosions. Good point, sir. You gotta get the cows away from the chickens, and if the chickens weren't there, then the cows would just all be safe. Oh, you're very wise, sir. It all comes down to this. What does Oscar rate it? I would give nine bouncing bum bams out of ten. We did it. <laughs> it's a load of pish. But he loves it. I have just realised from what you said, we were actually in the same audience because uh, myself and Luke were down on that last day as well. Because I now I know who you are. I've seen you as I've been rewatching the episodes because also you were smart. You wore branding. You had your studio on your hoodie. Luke was wearing a Worms T-shirt. I can't even remember what T-shirt I was wearing, but my brain went the other direction. I'm just like, oh, it's television. I shouldn't wear anything with branding because, you know, there was at least one guy on one of the challenges that had duct tape on the back of his hoodie where they had to cover up his logos. But you went down for the filming and obviously they changed They changed what it was. You were still quite well featured in that episode and actually that game got press outside of people just covering Games Master because I think I saw PC Gamer even had a, a byline on it and uh, Retro Faith obviously actually interviewed you briefly about it as well. And... I guess, what did you feel overall about the Games Master reboot? Like, like, how did you feel it came out? Was it what you expected? The show definitely hit the right notes, I felt. Um, understandably, you know, it, it's been so many years since the original. Um, if you just churned out the exact same thing again, it wouldn't have worked. You have to be aware that things change. In the same way, when we make retro games, we don't make them like they used to. You take the feel and, and, and the spirit of the original and then you take and you, and you put it in a framing of a modern audience. So I, with that, I think they did a great job. They, they had the challenges. They had the right amount of humor. Um, uh, Frankie was great in, in terms of her knowledge um, during the commentating. Um, the energy was there, and I think it was great. Uh, I, I said earlier, Trevor nailed being uh, Games Master. Uh, um I know in one of your previous pods, you talked about filming the consultation zone in, in, in the, on the green screen. We, yeah. we also got to do that as well. Uh, they had us jump, jump in and, and do some recording for that. Uh, as saying, it was a shame that they cut it, but uh, we understand why they did. Uh, if I understand correctly, uh, they couldn't get Trevor for enough time to do the responses. So that's what I understand. That's why they cut it. Obviously, this aired in 2021. The three episodes went out there. They were on YouTube first, then on E4. They're still available. You People can still go watch them. And despite the fact of it being three and done, Games Master hasn't gone away. Channel 4 and Future are still looking for another partner for another brace of episodes. As we talked about with Frankie, whether Frankie Rab and Ty come back is a question mark that probably won't be answered until a showrunner is on board. Maybe that showrunner will be key and maybe it won't. If they bring it back for another run, other than you know, getting you back to do another Games Jam, what would you like to see out of another run of Games Master episodes that perhaps they didn't quite get in that first revival? I guess the thing that was missing was having just average kids coming along and playing. Uh, obviously, all the challenges, uh, they were uh, either influencers or streamers or uh, content creators or, or, or actors and, and, and comedians and things like that, which is great. And I, I love that. But I think part of 
Games Master and the joy of it was having just the average kid come along and try the challenges. And I think that's the one of the things they must. I, I appreciate that it takes a lot more coordination and a lot more organization to do. But yeah, if they had more time and uh, another series, that would be great to see. It's an interesting one with that because I often think as well is I do wonder is if you just went out and did a like a longer term aimed at a younger age casting call for Games Master to get challenges in, how many of those kids applying would also be Twitch streamers anyway? <laughs> I mean, of course, you experience on Games Master, creating a game, seeing it up on television introducing the nation to the phrase bouncing bum bums that was not all you took away because you guys did get a golden joystick we did eventually get a golden joystick um so we weren't originally there to get a golden joystick um there was no mention of a prize of any kind for the game jam we were doing um but the the production team thought we did such a great job and, and put so much work into it that they wanted to do something for us um they had made a bunch of golden joysticks originally for the show and a certain number of them and not all the challenges were met so that means they had a few left over and we went to the rap party i remember you being there and uh we watched them give a bunch of joysticks to all the production crew which is wonderful um it was great to see that um one of the guys said to me have you checked your mail recently and i was like no i've not actually been home since uh the show because we did the egx and i've been out working so I've not been home to check my my, my mail. And they were like, oh, um, well, we sent you something, um, a, a, little, a little thank you. So I didn't know what it was that they had sent us. Um, it wasn't until I think a week after that that I actually finally managed to get back to my house and then uh, find out what they sent us. And, yeah, they sent us a box, and it was a lovely golden joystick um, over the moon to see that. And it was, it was just lovely, for, for, you know, a lovely thank you card as well, saying thank you for the work we did. And uh, a golden joystick, it's what, what child of the 90s uh, could want more, you know? But obviously, while the Games Jam is over and Games Master, for now, is dormant again. So Trev is having a bit of a sleep. Uh, you've not stopped. Like, you are still an active game developer and you've still got projects in the pipeline. Uh, what have you got coming up? Where can people find you? Like, basically, this is your chance to shill yourself, shill yourself hard and sell yourself to our audience. So for the last uh, a year or so, we've been working on a new Game Boy game uh, for Game Boy and Game Boy Color. Um, it's called Diffused. It's a wonderful turn-based logic puzzle game where you're a robot who has to diffuse bombs. Every time you move, the bombs count down, and if you hit kind of zero, they explode. Kind of a cross between uh, Bomb Man meets Minesweeper in that sort of sense. We made a conscious effort to make the game turn-based because we generally make quick arcade action games um but we found a few of our friends couldn't play them uh we have a friend who is fibromyalgia and because of that their hands don't work as great uh, um, and they don't have the dexterity to play a lot of our games so i thought what can i make that everyone can play what they can play and we came up with diffused um so that will be released on physical physical game with cartridge and uh, downloadable rom as well you can find us all over the internet, uh, all the social media platforms under Asobi Tech, uh, A-S-O-B-I Tech. Uh, Sobi is the Japanese word for play. Tech is the word, uh, Western word for uh, science. So we're the science of play. Asobi Tech um, it's, represents the East and West melding of my upbringing and my games experience. Uh, and we take experience from the East and the West. Um, and that's very much the makeup of the sort of games we make. Uh, yeah, so find us on the Cybertech all over the internet. 
Uh, thanks so much for giving us your time today. Thank you for your recollections, your memories, your wit, your knowledge. We will also put all the links to your socials in our show notes. So go and check that out. And we should probably wrap this up because I think I can hear Luke coming back from the toilet. I just go back from the toilet. Uh, did I miss anything? No, no, you're fine. Okay, lovely stuff. Brilliant. Anyway, I think that segment's great. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's really so fun. funny. Um, particularly the whole E4 commissioner bit. Yeah, it's great. Like the kids giving, you know, like, what happened to the people? They're cows. It's that beautiful way that children's minds work. But I think it's time we had another challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I've pitted these two challenges against each other in the fast-paced multiplayer racing game Speedrunners. Created by just five people, this side-scroller had small beginnings, but it has since become a huge party game and a fiercely competitive head-to-head. Playing as one of the game's hallmark quirky characters, like a man dressed as a pink unicorn, a gorilla dressed as a doctor, or even a man dressed as a burger, the aim is to outrun their opponent and leave them falling off the screen, all the while navigating the course's numerous obstacles and using their pickups wisely. The first to win three rounds will be victorious. Luke, over to you. Yeah, okay. So I said this the first time round as well. Uh, this is the game of Series 8 that I'm the most familiar with. And I featured this as my favorite challenge in when we did our uh, UCP Live 2.0. It's actually not true. Like, it is, it's not my actual favorite challenge. Uh, I, we just did that so we could have speedrunners in the, uh, the, the live portion of the show. I feel bad now because I said that this was like my favorite episode of the series, and I feel like I kind of I dunked on the uh, the the bikini stuff and the 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 summary challenge isn't great, and I'm about to dunk pretty hard on this one too because although MC Fixer and Sunpie are brilliant and I think they're awesome on this show, oh so good. You know how we would say like, or you would say it's scrubby Street Fighter playing. Yeah, this is some scrubby speedrunners, and it's. F- Fucking well annoying to watch. In the two years since that we recorded this first time round, I've played this game so, so much. I play this game on a near daily basis because this is our office game of choice. When we have lunch together, we will watch either watch some wrestling, maybe we'll watch The Office US, maybe we'll watch an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something. But when those 20 minutes have finished of whatever it is we're watching, we're like, speedrunners. And there'll be five, six of us, sometimes four of us, sometimes three of us, and we just pass the pads round. We go through a period of sometimes we're playing 2K23 or we'll play Fight Forever, but the majority of the time we will always come back to speedrunners, pass the pad round, and we are pretty great at this game. We're not pros at it, and I would never enter into a pro competition because I'd get destroyed, but we are more or less on an equal level apart from P, who's dead good at it. He's too good at it. So watching these two people fuck around with this challenge and play it like absolute like first timers it just it made me so frustrated because what i want is a great speedrunners challenge because that's what this show deserves and that's what this game deserves see i own speedrunners because i bought it so we could use it at ucp live because we were using my switch and i'm like yeah i may as well buy speedrunners and i played it to make sure it worked 
and to test it with the setup and everything we were using. And that's it, because... I don't have anyone to play it with. It's a couch co-op game. It is a couch co-op game. And in fact, I think that does give me a little bit of a perspective on this challenge, where I think the biggest mistake with this challenge isn't that the gameplay is scrubby. It's that it's 1v1 scrubby gameplay. Exactamundo. If you had four people all playing this at the same skill that these guys are playing it, I think it would be a lot better because there would still be more tension to it there'd be more yeah more jeopardy exactly because when you die in this game if you've not played it before and you don't see it in this challenge if you play this in like if there's three players or four players when one person dies the screen starts to Mm. shrink which means it's even harder for you to stay on screen uh, and, and easier for you to fall off when we're playing this in the office we know all the courses like the back of our hands so when it's a tiny tiny screen we can still run through those courses and avoid a lot of the obstacles and then it just comes down to that millimeter mistake is is what costs someone the challenge when we did this at ucp live 2.0 that was the first thing i said was if we're going to do speedruns it has to be four people because it's what makes this game good and what makes this game special i yeah so i this challenge has all the potential to be great but time constraints the way that it was set up because there was only ever two chairs to do it we don't have a challenge with more than two people so this only ends up being a 1v1 and it's not the best use they barely complete a full lap of this course and this is the start of course i now sound like those people in the uh talking about beat saber last week but i uh yeah i'm it's just a shame that i don't love this challenge as much as i want to i also think and this is particularly with senpai she's been told the grapple swings you because what she does throughout this challenge is just spam the grapple button but the grapple and i said this on the first time as well the grapple only works if it's on a white beam across the ceiling and it's just there to sort of speed you up i don't know if she was told that or if she understood that's how the grapple works but that's all she does she just spent she runs and spams the grapple button to swing and then when she eventually does swing it takes her by surprise and then she just swings right up into the ceiling and it kills all of her momentum the little bit i've played of speedrunners I find myself trying to grapple too much because you know it's a mechanic you can use. You do it a bit too much. Yeah, it, she just, like, it feels like she's just consequent. Why isn't the grapple working? Yeah, so, which is which is a shame. Thankfully, the challenges are great. MC Fixer and Sunpai are delightful on this show. Hi, Games Master. Who the hell are you? I'm MC Fixer and I'm a streamer. I'm Sunpai and I'm a content creator. So you both fancy your chances of defeating the other at my challenge on speedrunners? Pretty on. I play games every single day. I, I see. And you? Yeah, every single day on Twitch. You both seem annoyingly confident. You don't walk into this room and talk to a, a person such as yourself and not be confident. Don't try and flatter me. Thanks, Games Master. Thanks, Games Master. Do one. Great to have you two here, two of the most entertaining personalities in the whole of the gaming sphere. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. How exactly do you two... Know each other. Well, we both met at EGX, which is a games convention, and uh, yeah, we've been friends ever since. A few weeks ago, I was painting his toes white, so they match his new trainers. Are they still painted? No, they didn't happen. Come on, get that show. Are they still painted? All right. All right. How far back do you go in the video game? My dad actually owns a game shop, um, so I grew up with games since I was about four. Game Boy was my first handheld. Tetris, oh, Mega yeah. Drive, Streets of Rage. Beautiful stuff, man. And Sun Pie, you had a wee bit of beef this year with Soldier Boy. What happened there? 
He sent me his Soldier Boy console, and then when I was honest about it and said it was trash, he then said, oh, I didn't send it to you, and then slandered me all over the internet. And then I came back at him with receipts and showed everyone he did send it, and the console still trash. Beautiful! You took him down! Very, very much so. They, they've got a great chemistry with each other. They've got great chemistry with Rab and Frankie and just like, yeah, a real sense of professionalism and a vibe about them. It's very cool, very fun. I had completely forgotten about the Soldier Boy shit. So did I. I opened up my old notes. I was like, what the fuck is all this thing I've written out here? Like, I've got all this stuff from Nintendo Life and all these other various... I was like, what the fuck am I babbling on about here? Then I rewatched the episode. I was like, oh... That's right. It's the Soldier Boy thing. And I actually did go and then check and just see what has he been up to since then. And the answer is same old <laughs> Same old bullshit. Because, of course, at the time we last covered this, he just recently claimed to have bought Atari. <laughs> <laughs> He's got some really good weed. Like, like yeah, we're yeah. talking like even Snoop Dogg would go, hey, mate, you should chill. Yeah. <laughs> like not in that sense. Just ease up a bit. I either that or he doesn't know what Google is because I feel like he makes up a lot of these stories or says these things be like you know people can Google that right and see that it's that's not the case it's him and Hulk Hogan <laughs> <laughs> Soldier Boy will be claiming to have power slammed Andre the Giant just before he died or play uh, bass with Metallica <laughs> Soldier Boy possibly believes he did play bass with Metallica. <laughs> yeah, maybe all formed Metallica. <laughs> but Fixer is bringing the old school with this. He references the Mega Drive, the Game Boy, Streets of Rage. He's playing up to Rab. I mean, to be honest, he's playing up to you. He's kind of playing up to me. Isn't it odd? Like, that's all... I think all three of... I was about to call this the Celebrity Challenge, but it isn't. That was the one previous. But last week with Snoochie Shy, it was all about... Tomb Raider and about the original and even with um, Shanghai they were talking about classic Mega Drive mm. and Sonic and this and that and now you've got MC Fix here talking about classic Mega Drive and Streets of Rage and things like that in next week's Celebrity Challenge their, their favourite game is Final Fantasy 7 it's almost like it's Games Master like <laughs> if you ask those questions to someone in you know Series 1 through 7 of Games Master they'd give them the same answers yeah I, it, it's also really nice because so much of this show is based around modern gaming. I mean, it shocks me that coming up soon-ish, we get Street Fighter 2. Like, not even the HD hand-drawn comic book style Street Fighter 2. It's Street Fighter 2. But other than that, we don't really get classic games. So it's nice they at least get mentioned here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And it's very much, it's then appealing to the audience for this show, because as we said before, People in the audience that were there for it were probably, you know, th in their 30s and upwards or mid 30s and upwards. And I'd wager the people watching this were probably going to be the a vast majority 30 upwards because they've got the nostalgic memories of Games Master and the newer generation that this show will struggle to pull in, get their gaming content elsewhere. They don't get it from TV, probably not even watching TV. They get it from Twitch. They get it from YouTube. To, to skip ahead a bit, the Evercade Versus gets showcased later. And I do wonder if Games Master had continued with this current setup and this trajectory, if Meta or someone else had gone, make us another 10 episodes. If Nintendo don't want to license out the old games and, and you know, EA are like, well, no, you can't play Mega Drive FIFA. You know, you've got to play FIFA 23 or similar. I wonder if maybe we'd have seen Evercade become a presence for challenges because that then would maybe be a better way to either play 
actual old games or via the indie titles that are getting licensed to mm. the Evercade, more retro style games. As for the, the challenge itself, I've kind of sort of said my, my piece on this, which is that bless Sunpai, she's playing this game the way she's been told to play this game, which is use the grapple because it does make you go faster, um, but has not realized that you need to wait for the white bar on a ceiling in order to do it. And that's unfortunate. She does get a point um, because MC Fixer completely bollockses the double jumping and the wall jumping and stuff. And there's even a moment where Sunpai fires a rocket, and you don't see this a lot in in speedrunners. Well, I say it's been in my office anyway, which is running backwards. Usually, you are just pelting forwards. Running backwards is a bad idea. But what MC Fixer does is he's a rocket and just tries to avoid it. Yeah, and so he runs backwards, and in the process of doing so, blows both of them up. It's actually quite a smart play because it reduces all of their momentum, it kills your momentum too. But it stops their momentum as well. Yeah, kind of a, a self-sacrifice, falling on your own sword almost. Exactly. Yeah, Sunpai fails on the wall jumping again, and Fixer wins three-one. I've written here because we saw this one live. I remember being less than impressed when this was shot. I was even less impressed when I saw it the first time around, and I'm even further less impressed on this rewatch. You had your arms folded when we saw this being recorded. <laughs> And it's and funny enough as well, because when we had the conversations with the production team and they were offering us, you know, do you want to be on the show or what challenges would you like to do on the show? And it was going to be me versus you. Yeah. Because they had this idea, like one of the original pitches they had for Games Master was it's settling grudges. This would involve us having a grudge. Well, that's and that's what we said in the production meeting. It's like, well, we don't really have like a a grudge on a game or anything like that but the only time you see that is in next week's episode the street fighter 5 challenge is the only time where that original pitch concept is realized in the in the final product but you and i like we didn't really have a, a grudge thing but we couldn't even think of a convincing one to make up not even really because we're like at that Mince point pies that's yeah, it exactly yeah <laughs> like at that point as well we hadn't really played a lot of games together so we couldn't even think of a game that we would both be of an equal level on that we've played multiple times over and we're like you know oh, i've won 500 and he's won 501 so i'm I looking mean, spoilers for- <laughs> we still haven't still haven't exactly yeah <laughs> but it was after that phone call actually if i was to get like my office crew down i probably would have suggested speedrunners and we would have had a grudge match thing on speedrunners when we did speedrunners for ucp live originally one of your co-workers, we asked him to be in it. He was going to be our little lad Larry, basically. And he was going to be, this is our chosen champion. Can you beat Pete on this game? I'm glad that that didn't happen in the end because everyone was more or less at an equal level of, I've played this once or twice. But I, my pitch would have been, it's me, it's Pete, it's Tempest, or it's Andy, it's Terry. And Terry is going to be the loud French one in there who is just screaming, no, no! As is, and Terry's French? <laughs> <laughs> she hides it well um, in all of her stripy tops that she wears. We'd have had a great time doing it. And that's what I think this, this challenge needed to be. And that's, that would have been my pitch to them, is the four of us come down and we'll do a, a speed ma- a speedrunner's grudge match. Yeah, that would have been way better. Like, don't get me wrong, at that point I may have been a bit salty because I wasn't involved. Well, exactly, yeah. But also, I would have been, that's better television. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have invited Pete, though, because Pete would have just won. Uh, oh, new- Pete would have been even saltier. Yeah, well, we ha- well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I knew that, but that would have been my pitch. Like, well, that's then the next, that's your next series one, is that Pete comes as the rightful winner of this. And someone puts up their golden joystick from the previous season. Anyway, because, I mean, the joke around the office now is, Pete wins, lol. And, like, any time people win 3-0 games and just go, like, yay, Pete wins. And we're like, right, we can't end the day 
with Pete winning. So we'll just play another round until one of us, one someone, someone else wins. Because I'm not having Pete win. And Pete will win the next five games. You know, well, I mean, I've got a meeting in three minutes. We can get another game in. <laughs> and this time, Pete's not winning. Have any of you ever considered just literally sacrificing yourself for the greater good just to make sure <laughs> Pete doesn't win? No, there have been times where people are like, so there's a mechanic in the game where you can tackle people. Like if you press the triangle button, which is slide to go underneath things, if you do it while you're on top of someone, you tackle them and they fall down and it loses all their momentum. There have been times where we are all on top of each other, but Pete's out in front and we're going like, don't tackle, don't tackle because it's going to kill us both. We both we need to get ahead here so we can try and catch up with Pete. It's not about me winning. It's about him not winning. That's exactly it, yeah. <laughs> but I won five games today, so I was really pleased with myself. Pete wasn't in them. He was. Oh, wow. Oh, Pete, Pete had a shocker of a day. You did it. I did it. No, listen, be compassionate. Be compassionate because it was close. It was close. It was close and I feel really bad because I know how much you wanted to win. Oh, it looks like you feel bad, mister. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I had to try my hardest. I came to win. And that's exactly what I did. So let's go, baby. That third round door was kind of back and forth. That was the exciting one, Frankie. Wait, how do you feel about it, Frankie? I feel like, Sampai, you were button mashing the grab. And this is not a button mashing game. That's the problem. You kept grappling things. And when you had a homing missile and you had the advantage over Fixer, you grapple hooked yourself into your own homing missile. I did. I did. I did. And we were all rooting I for you that. until that moment. And then we just went, oh, it's I done. Know. I deserved it, didn't I? When we get into the post-match, they're still great. Fixer's got the crowd behind him. He's really egging it up. He's rubbing his hands at the thought of getting a Games Master Golden Joystick. He really wants that. These guys are great. It makes me sad the challenge wasn't more competitive. Me too. And Fixer's just like, Fixer's stepping on Rab's toes here. He's just like, I got my joystick. Take her away. And Rab's like, that's my job, yeah, you prick. I'm the winner here. <laughs> She's the And like some proper pays over. I'm not ready to die. She corpses like hell in the booth, which is appropriate because she about to die. Yeah, it's very, very good. And she does die with a good consistent length scream and jazz hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just had... did jazz hands. <laughs> if only you had a grappling hook now. <laughs> is anyone writing these down? This is some really funny stuff. And then I've written, yes, Games Master, we are. <laughs> we are, but it is. All right, Gredo. All right, Rob. I want to talk to you about a thing called a visual novel. You ever read a book? Right. Mm -hmm. well, what was the last book you read? Dick Whittington. You've read Dick Whittington? Twice. Who wrote that? Uh, Dickens or something. Did they? Dickens. The Charles Dickens, right? Dick Dickens. Dickens. Well, what if I told you there was a kind of video game that was like a book? So like a film? No, not like a film, mate. Like a book. Very big in Japan. All the computer games are big in Japan. I know that, Grado. I know all the computer games are big in Japan, but this particular subgenre is very big in Japan, mate. And it's like a book, um. but it's a video game. What do you think that's like? Can you imagine that? It's a book, it's like a video game. You decide the ending of the story. No, I think you'll find when you read Dick Whittington that Charles Dickens decided what happened at the end, right? And that's what it's like with a visual novel. A book with pictures, video game, bells and whistles. How do you complete it? How did you complete Dick Whittington? I read it to the end. Exactly. 
How many in-ring concussions do you think Grado has at this point? Oh, I mean, he's stepped a lot away from the wrestling ring since then. He just, just does fr family-friendly shows. Yeah. So I'd imagine there's probably way less concussions in those, although, you know, they can happen by accident. He isn't doing his big ICW runs no, anymore. No, no, he's not. Which, although, is which is probably protecting him in a great, in the great sense. Although both of us did see him in front of a crowd of near 81,000 people, although actually at that time, probably 50 to 60. Yeah. But still a solid amount of people. So yeah, when we recorded the last episode, we said we're in the lead up to All In. And at that point as well, you and I were talking about the reports were Kratos going to be part of All In. And then the report came out, he's not. And that was the last thing that we said on the show. We were like, we thought we were going to see him at Wembley Stadium in front of, you know, 80 odd thousand people. But looks like that's not going to be the case. As it turns out, he was on the pre-show. He was involved in an angle with Anthony Agogo and Paul White beating up Jeff Jarrett. And yeah, you're right. Like it was the the audience like f like filing in and stuff. So not everyone would see it. But the pop that Grado got was absolutely magical. I made sure to like have my phone out because once Jeff Jarrett was calling people out, I thought this is where Grado is going to come in. I reckon Grado is here. So I got my phone out and I started recording it. Yeah. And then the big show came out and there was genuinely some people in the Arizona was like, oh, I thought it was going to be Grado. And they left it just long enough for Grado to, to Grado's name came on the screen. His music didn't play, but his name came on the screen and the place just went ballistic for it. It was a beautiful moment. Tom Campbell of Cultaholic has been really pushing for Grado and stuff and he's been doing interviews with Grado. Him and the rest of the Cultaholic team have been driving this train of messaging Tony Khan on Twitter every day being like, book Jarrett versus Grado. This is what the fans want to see. And Tom wasn't there in the building. He was doing live reactions back in Newcastle. Oh, poor bugger. But he had an amazing reaction to, to Grado coming out. He lost his tiny little mind. Oh! Yes! He's here! Yeah, it was a beautiful moment. Speaking of beautiful moments, I love this educating Grado. It's so not my favourite educating Grado. That is next week's. Yeah. But this is a very, very close second. Next week's is my favourite because of the subject matter. This week's is the close second almost first because of Dick Whittington. Yeah, it's it's the conversation between Rab and Grado. Because like next week, it levels up, no pun intended, with a dum dum all that sort of stuff but here just being like what was the last book that you read and he's like Dick Whittington I'm assuming for Panto yeah and he's like well, who wrote that and he went Charles Dickens it's got <laughs> in, Dick in the title in fairness like I don't think many people know who wrote Dick Whittington it's not like it was written by a famous author but it's Rab's line of like it was a book but it's a visual thing and then Greta's like so it's a film it's like no it's a game and they're massive in Japan. It's like, all games are massive in Japan. And you were right earlier. It's the closest that Rab looks like, I'm just going to hit you. I'm going to slap you in the face because you are being belligerent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Can you imagine what this looks like? And Greta just pauses and goes, oh, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I love Grado's pause and sigh. Oh, no, I can't. 
I think I've played quite a few more visual novels since then. I mean, you've played visual novels because, let's be honest, what is Phoenix Wright? It's a visual novel. It's a it's a visual novel with a bit more gaming mechanic than the one that they're talking about here. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the ones, because there's a huge boom of these on the DS, pretty much off the back of the success of Phoenix Wright, really. All of a sudden, yeah. it felt like there was loads of these visual novels being released on the DS in sort of the, the, the mid to late 2000s. And I played a load of them. Because I loved Phoenix Wright so much, I was like, man, I've got to play me some more of this because I'm genuinely enjoying this. And there was one that was like, a, there was a, a hotel, like, uh, Noir Hotel one. Dusk. That's it, Hotel Dusk. Yeah, played, played that on oh, a uh, transatlantic flight to America. Really enjoyed it. There's a lot of reading to be done in that one, but man, it's, it was real good. Yeah, I got eye strain playing that on a plane because <laughs> yeah. it was an overnight flight, so they yeah. dimmed the light. So, of course, I had to have the light down yeah, on, yeah. The, on the DS. And about, like, I think three, four hours in, I was just like, oh, my eyes are stinging. <laughs> this is not eyes, good. My eyes hurt. <laughs> But Grady has a spare 40 to 50 hours, so he's going to take a look and see if he enjoys it. Enjoys playing Famicom Detective Club, the, the Switch re-release of it. Do you know what? I really want to get that, but it, like most Nintendo games, it never drops in price and never got a physical release either. F***s me off. But Grado's punchline, I was like, well, what did you think? Well, it was a, wasn't it a game, was it? It's just a book. Because <laughs> he's not wrong, it is. You're just there, pressing next, 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 and reading along. So some visual novels do add more to this game mechanic. We've mentioned Phoenix, right, where you have to kind of click around, collect evidence. Um, you have to kind of like follow certain steps to actually get the story to progress. Also, the uh, the whole kind of dating game subgenre. Like, the story will alter depending which waifu you want to notice your senpai or something like yeah, that. I don't well, the, know. the choices that you make. The choices that you make. I mean, also, there are an entire other subgenre, which are basically, definitely not for children, not safe for work, harem games, where it's all about... It's like Pokemon, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you got to bang them all. Yeah. That's the point of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, obviously, they couldn't cover that on something that is apparently for kids. I don't know. <laughs> we still don't know the audience, nor do they. But I do love the just whole, it's a book. Yeah, it's a yeah. book. That's what it is. So we're about to go into the next segment, uh, the review segment, Rab's getting the crowd to chant VT. I had forgotten how much the gatekeepers were corpsing in the background, to the point of, I'm amazed this shot got used, other than the Games Master tradition of, we've only got one take, because one of them has the hood down, and they it's not even that they're kind of like doing goblin shit. <laughs> They're just chatting. Yeah, just chatting away. They're just they're just chatting. I don't know if they realise Rab is actually doing a bit to camera and they're in shot. <laughs> Welcome to Helensburgh, the home of the great John Logie Baird, the inventor of this thing that you're watching, this show on right now, the television. Right, OK, fair enough. I know that you're not actually watching it on television. You're probably watching it on your phone while you're sitting on the toilet pan, but just go with me here. If the great John Logie Baird himself had known that one day we'd be getting our entertainment from screens as amazing as the one that's on this OLED switch here, then I think he would have just chucked it and focused on inventing bombs like most of the other inventors of his generation. The new OLED switch, take it for me, is a beautiful thing. And sure, it's no the upgrade that some people were asking for. Oh, give us a 4K switch. Oh, give us more RAM, more clock speed. Oh, that. I wasn't asking for that. I thought the switch was pretty much perfect as it was. But what this new version of the switch does give you is a gorgeous, gorgeous screen. Better blacks, whatever that means. It's just something I saw on a tech website. Better sound and far better build quality. What that means 
is that this new version of the Switch is the very best version of what I believe is the very best games console on the market today by a distance. It's kind of nice you were talking about how like the price of Famicom Detective Club hasn't dropped in price because I was watching or re-watching this episode today in, in preparation for our podcast record this evening of Rab reviewing the OLED Switch. I don't own a Switch and I've never owned one. But I have wanted to own one because I mm. do think they're, they're a fine piece of kit. I know that Rab loves the Switch, like really heavily puts over the Switch, which is why he's a very glowing in, in this review here. And we've had a Switch in the office and stuff, and I've watched people play games on the Switch. And I'm like, oh, that looks like it's really good fun. And mm. I'd, I'd love to play Tears of the Kingdom and uh, all the other the Zelda games and stuff. I've heard that Mario Odyssey is great. I'd like to try and get into Mario Kart 8 Deluxe because I miss playing Mario Kart games and I'm annoyed that I suck at them now. So I'd like to be able to do all of this stuff. And Metroid Dread is a game that I really, really want to play. Oh, it's good. Because again, I've heard that it's great, yeah. and I really, really want to play it. I love a Metroid game, and this is the this is my jam. This is what I want from a Metroid game. And so I watched this review here, and I was like, I'm doing it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna buy myself a Switch. Maybe I'll buy myself an OLED an OLED Switch. Maybe that's what I'll do because it, I mean, it seems like a really good way to do it. The screen looks very, very lovely, and all that. And I thought, two years on, it might have dropped in price somewhat. No, this is still as fucking expensive as it was two years ago. Genuinely, for a Switch OLED or a regular Switch, or even if you, because, you know, you do commute quite a bit, a Switch Lite, cash converters. Genuinely, you will get one so much cheaper there, and they will be in good nick. Let's have a look. I'm gonna go, we'll, we'll Google this on air. Uh, yeah, you can get an, an OLED one, black, 239. Uh, there's one over here for 209. 219. 199 is one in its box. That's 200 quid. Switch Lite, you can get for around 100. Oh, lovely. And you think, if you're thinking about playing something on the go... Which is what I would do. I, I, think I don't think there'd be a lot of opportunity for me to plug this into the, the TV. This would very much be for my commute. Yeah, and also, the good advantage of the Switch Lite is you don't have to worry about Joy-Cons being attached to the side. It's, I mean, to be honest, sat right next to me now, I've got the, uh, the Evercade EXP. Mm. If this hadn't come out, I might have picked up a Switch Lite just as a second Switch, just yeah. to give me something that... I can actually fit into a pocket, like of my winter coat. Yeah. Oh, that's one for 80 quid. There you go, see? Yeah, it's not a bad idea, that. So, do you know what? Don't let anyone tell you that this podcast isn't educational. We're educating Luke over here, because if you've thought to yourself, well, I want to buy a Switch, but I don't want to pay 350 quid for the privilege of it, because that is a lot of money. And also, you don't want to give money to CEX. Well, yeah, and I, it's the same reason I've not bought a PS5. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, it was like, I might buy a PS5, and another friend of mine recently did, because there was like a huge price drop in them. But they're still like really, really expensive. I ain't got 500 quid to drop down on a, a console that I'm not going to play a lot of. Yeah. So what I need to do is be able to just buy something here for 80 quid, and... You know, go with that. Plus, the great thing is the Switch Lite, you've got all the benefits of the Switch, which is the Nintendo Store. And while the Nintendo games don't go on sale, a lot of the third-party ones do. And you will suddenly find that it's like, oh, look, the Castlevania collection's down to six ninety nine. Yeah. You'd love that. I would love that. If and Actually, because they also released all of the old classic Final Fantasies on there. So I could play Final Fantasy Nine. If and I know you don't like online passes and stuff, but if you got the Nintendo Plus family, whatever you want to call it, thing Nintendo Online stuff, you've got all the classic channels there. You've got the NES, the SNES, the Mega Drive. You've got a whole selection of games. That's it. That's the thing I'm, I'd be fairly interested in subscribing to. 
Yeah. So I'd probably get a lot of use out of that. And if you got Mario Kart for it, you'd also get all the track packs and it let you get your practice in. So when it comes to the office and someone brings a switch in, you're good to go. Maybe. I've got a mission statement now coming out of this review because I, what I want to play, I want to play uh, Metro Dread. And I, I like what Rav's talking about here as well because I'm like Rav in a lot of this as well, which he's talking about like people wanted a 4K version of the Switch. And he's like, don't need a 4K version. I'm not interested in a 4K version. This is just a better version of the Switch that's got a nicer screen, a firmer build to it, and it feels nicer to hold. Yeah. And it's interesting that we sit here six to seven years on from the original Switch being launched. And as we're revisiting the release of the OLED, we're now about what appears to be a year away from something concrete about the next Nintendo console. And I look at the games they've still got lined up. I look at the games they're releasing this year and I'm thinking, you have to be building backwards compatibility into this. If you're not Nintendo, you're going to fucking die. I, I, yeah. they've, they've invested too much in it. I can't imagine they'd make that mistake. This has to I be. I can't imagine they would do. They, I mean, this has to be kind of GameCube to Wii level. I'm not going to say Wii to Wii U because that was terrible, but GameCube to Wii, where it's a case of, yeah, your GameCube controllers still work. And, that, and the GameCube wasn't a bigger seller. Like, you know, that wasn't the biggest selling console they had, but it, we had backwards capability with the GameCube. Exactly, yeah. And But you know, they, they sold bucket loads of the, the NES in america but did not make it backwards compatible with the snes and that was a big controversial deal for you know in america in the in the early 90s so it's weird that they really really don't for the gamecube into the wii the amount that switch has sold surely surely there's lessons to be learned there unless the lesson of course is but we can make them buy the games for a second time although i would hope that any games you've bought on your nintendo account would carry over yeah I, I don't the problem is is it seems like an obvious thing to me and you of course it is and it probably seems like an obvious thing to a lot of business analysts and it might even seem like an obvious thing to a lot of people working in nintendo but that doesn't mean that's what they're going to do no, of course because not. nintendo got a nintendo exactly but anyway the switch is still great and so is metroid dread which oh, hopefully you will I'll, discover I'll soon play it soon well, let's get into our final challenge and it holds a special place in our heart does this one what are we playing, Games Master? For this challenge, I'm setting an unsuspecting challenger a terrifying task on the award-winning 2017 hit Cuphead. Cuphead is a fiercely difficult boss-battling run-and-gun game in a setting styled on 1930s animation. An array of moves, super-quick reflexes, and a lot of practice are needed to win. Cuphead is regarded as one of the hardest games of recent years, and the challenger will have only three lives to defeat the formidable frog bosses, Woody and Cropes. I've still not played Cuphead. It still scares me. Uh, we played it on Screenstalker, our old movie and video channel. Like we did it. We thought it'd be fun to play Cuphead because it's dead hard, like, and we're not very good. So we thought we would do like a kind of like a retry thing that RKG do, which is just like we'll keep trying and trying and trying until we do it. We actually did this boss because mm. um, this game is nails. And I really enjoy watching people play this game. Like I watched Frankie playing this game on uh, stream. Mm. And it's great to watch people play this, particularly if they've not played it before, because it's a shock to the system of how hard it is. And then watching superb players, watching the Mexican runner play this game yeah. is magic. It's legit magical. And to a degree, I'd actually compare that to our contestant we've got today. Not to try and blow smoke because he's a you know, friend of ours. But watching him play this game is magic. This challenge and this gameplay is so good that, of course, 
to reference the YouTube comments, some people have tried to claim that it's fixed. Yeah. And it's like, well, other contestants are terrible. This guy can't possibly be good. <laughs> so it's got to be rigged. And I'm like, oh, internet. Yep. Will you ever not? Will you ever not? <laughs> but, you know, I, I really enjoy playing Cuphead. I would like to spend a bit more time on it. I don't know if I've got the patience to get to get good at it, uh, but it is fun and it's it's frustrating in a fun way. When you die, you do have that, oh, just one more go. It really has a very good, oh, just one go feel about it. What I would love to do with this, and maybe this mirrors what you did, is I would love to sit there with someone and play this on a stream, but every time you die, you pass but the pad back. That's the it. We did. Yeah, pass yeah. it around. And because we did it with three people, so you die, and then you have to watch two people play it, and you're just like, I just want another go. I just want another go. I mean, what you really want is to die, and then remember what you died from, and your fingers are already prepped to go. But two other people have yeah. since played it, and they might have been playing it for quite a while. So when it comes back to you, you're like, I've forgotten it all already. <laughs> My fingers aren't used to it again. What is that? Legacy golden joystick. You mean this is uh, an original golden joystick? It is. Tell me, do you love this? Uh, you don't know how much. So let me get this straight. If you win this challenge, mm -hmm. you're going to be the first person in history to have an original 1990s Games Master golden joystick and our new 21st century golden joystick. Zara, you must be very excited. Uh, that's a bit of pressure you're putting on me, Robert, but yeah. If you win, you'll get one. But I am going to raise the stakes a wee bit. Oh, yeah. I want to go double or nothing here. So if you lose, mm -hmm. I'm going to destroy your original Games Master Golden no. Joystick. Bring Rob his hammer! I was literally just talking to Chrissy today, and it was because I knew we were doing this tonight, and so I'd been seeing his lovely smiling face on the screen while re-watching and refreshing my notes. And I chat with him in DM, and then I see him on screen, and I'm just like, He's a lovely lad. He's a lovely lad. And it's like... It's I resent how, you know, youthful and energetic he remains. Yeah. It's weird to feel proud of, of Crazy Two Sticks because we became friends with him sort of after this, really. Like this was kind of our introduction to him. And we sort of reached out to him and chatted with him because we'd done the Donkey Kong Challenge We'd already covered the Donkey Kong Challenge at that point as well. So we'd kind of, this was kind of our introduction to him on a personal level as opposed to just seeing him on in, in the videos and stuff. But I kind of, I am, which is, it's a, it's a weird feeling to have to be proud of someone I, I, I don't, you know, I've only known for a handful of years. But seeing him on this show and watching it, particularly, I think it's kind of now watching it with the two years of, you know, hindsight and stuff. Mm. Rewatching the challenge, I've got this real pang of like, you fucking go, man. Like, that's awesome that you got to do this and you get your double joystick and stuff and you absolutely boss this challenge and it's so cool. And even when we had him uh, half-featured on UCP Live 2.0 where he was kind of like our chosen, he won the Donkey Kong Challenge. Apologies to the other contestants. Yeah. I really live with that regret. That, that <laughs> literally haunts me that that surprised all of you. Yeah. We I thought it was a cool bit. We thought it was a cool bit until we saw him playing. I was like, oh, shit, ain't no one beating this. <laughs> oh, no, no. It wasn't even that. It was actually the reaction of the people because I thought, oh, this is a great spot. And then I saw the reactions of the other people doing the challenge and I'm like, oh man, I feel horrible now. That's it, yeah, well, that's what I mean. Is like once people stood up and they're like, oh, there's no way I can beat that time. I was like, ah, oh, 
yeah, maybe we maybe we misjudged this. But like we yeah, we had him as half part of that, and I was like super proud to have him on there. And just any time he cr- like crops up on things, or, you know, just interacts with people, I'm like, you fucking go, man. Like he you get you go get it. He's like, he's great. If we find an excuse to bring him back on, and really we don't need much of an excuse to bring people back on, absolutely will. And he's really good on this. They reference like specifically, you were on series four, episode six, playing Donkey Kong Country. But that was a child's play challenge. It sort of was in comparison to this. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to let the joystick do the talking. The dimadism is strong. Honestly, the writing for Games Master is so good in this series. And he's like, he must think I've made of money. Of course, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but Christian, like Chris, he's a natural showman. He feels like he is a streamer. Like he is a genuine full-time content streamer. And maybe he should be. Yeah. Because he's a natural showman. He's great with Rab. He's got really good flair about him. And he's just, he's got a lot of charisma. And if you want to find out more about how this challenge went down, the build up to it, go and listen to the interview we did with Chrissy. Because genuinely, the story behind this challenge is insane. I mean, just as an example, here's Chrissy talking about how much time he had to prepare. They called me, the producers, and said, um, right, we're thinking of uh, giving you a game called Cuphead. And I thought to myself, Cuphead? I have seen that game on the Nintendo store, but what is it? So I started researching Cuphead. I thought, why would they want me to play this? And I thought, oh, maybe because it looks a bit retro-y. I thought, okay, uh, that makes sense. They said, so um, possibly Cuphead. So if you want to get it, practice. I thought, okay. Any clues of what the level is? Level is? They said no. Just just play it. See how see how you get on. So I I, I bought a cuphead. Now it's two days before actual filming day. I bought cuphead on on the switch, and the first level was run and gun. I thought, oh, this is like Donkey Kong. This is going to be the same. So you know, it's a run and gun level, and I, I was playing that to death on that night that I bought it. So a good two hours of playing it, practicing the run and gun. I thought it might be a time challenge, so I was practicing to do it as fast as I could not get hit, do it as fast as I could, did it. Then now we're, we're on to like a day before they emailed me and gave me the challenge, which is a, it's going to be Cuphead, one of the boss levels, but not the first few levels. I thought, oh no, that's what I've been playing on the first first couple of levels. I thought, oh no. So I actually have to complete the, the levels to get further, to access the further levels. And then they said, also, it's going to be on the PC. So you'll be using a PS5 pad. I thought, oh I bought it on a Switch, so I've been playing it with the tiny Switch Joy-Cons. Uh, mm. I thought, okay, what do I do? I know it's only a pad, but sometimes if you get used to a pad, you want to be able to be comfortable on that pad. So I thought, what do I do? What do I do? So I quickly ran out and bought a USB dongle, plugged it into the Switch so I could use my PS5 pad. They still didn't tell me which level it was. So I was like, oh, what I'm going to do is just practice all the levels. And they are so hard. It was so difficult. Every level I was struggling. I thought, oh no, which one are they going to pick? Then later on, it's still a day before they, they, they messaged me later, said, okay, we're going to pick the Ribby and, Ribby and Croaks level. And they said, are you happy with that? I said, yes, I'm happy. And I just practiced. And I, I thought, I don't want to sacrifice sleep because I want to be have enough sleep to go on the show. But I do want to get some practice in. So I did stay up quite late up to about 1am. So I had about two hours because I had to work that day as well. So I didn't oh, get to no. practice. Yes. If I had the whole day, that would be all right. But... I had to go work. I didn't get home till late at dinner. And then I thought, okay, let me play. Let me play. I just played for a couple of hours. And I thought I had to go sleep now and be fresh for tomorrow. And then went to filming. And that was it. That's bonkers, mate. Yeah. That is insane. Because this is not an easy game. It really, really is. not. I don't know how much I can stress that. This is a hard game. 
And then we've got the, the double jeopardy thing of Rab really, 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 really wanting to destroy that joystick, or at the very least, the production team really, 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 really wanting to be able to destroy that joystick. It's kind of win-win for production, because you either have, he wins two golden joysticks, and that's awesome, or you have, you get to smash up one of the original ones, and at least, and it would be an actual real one, unlike the time that um, Richard Herring smashed up his one, and it wasn't the real one. I love the double jeopardy on this. I think it's so, so awesome. And Rab is, he is itching to smash that thing up. I mean, you never leave Scotland without your hammer. <laughs> but because of the double jeopardy, I've got in my notes here, come on, Christian. Like, I, I'm really rooting for him to do this. And bloody hell, he makes this look easy. This, to me, is watching people play the Contra games. I love the Contra games. I'm terrible at them. I suck at Super Pro Protector. Yeah, absolutely. But you watch people playing those games that get them. And it, it, despite the difference in animation style, Contra and Cuphead, like Birds very, of a Feather. Very similar. Yeah. Every time I watch this challenge, if I'm meant to be making notes, I stop. Because I'm just watching someone who is nailing this to the wall. That's what I mean, man. It's magic. Like, watching people play Cuphead really, really well is like a magic trick. Chrissy's listening to this and going, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I had the same thing watching him do the Donkey Kong Country thing for us. Because when, like, you watch his run-through of it, and you're like, that's damn near perfect. And you, shout out to Chrissy, and I mentioned this on the, uh, you know, the, the first episode we did on this. He is not far off what world record runners do on this boss stage. Like the current record on this is 35 seconds, but that is with like glitches and things like that. Uh, the Mexican runners gets an S rank on this. He did it in 53 seconds. So Chrissy running through this game, getting 133, that puts him really high up the rankings in terms of world record players on this game. As one of our fellows in the audience says at the end, B for Batman. Right, B. Honestly, he is superb at this. And I know, like, he's listening to this now, and he's probably, I, I'd like to think he's trying to be humble about it. No, he's not. But he's not. He's not. <laughs> he's absolutely and he not. shouldn't be. And he shouldn't be. No. Wouldn't it be fun if we smashed up that joystick anyway? That'd be fun, right? <laughs> no. Frankie, what are we going to do here? I want to smash this thing up. I'm afraid you're going to have to take it out on some poor other unsuspecting victim, Rab. Rab really, really wants to break this joystick. <laughs> I know, like, it's so funny. I wrote in my, like, the first time around watching this, I was like, Rab looks genuinely annoyed that he doesn't get to smash this thing. And then watching it back, I'm like, yeah, there is a little, there's a little glint in his eye that is saying, like, oh, I just want to smash that little <laughs> And there's a little tweak of fear in Chris's eyes of, like, he might actually smash this. He might go, he might go into business for himself with that mallet. Although, still annoys me, the case is slightly on the wonk. Yeah. One take, Games Master. If I remember correctly as well, I know we've just gone through this episode, this is the only time we speak to the audience in this as well, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and it, I, we know why. We talked about this in the first episode. It didn't really work in, in the, the best way possible. And, like, you know, they get some fairly good sound bites out of people. You mentioned Beef a Bad Man and the, the, the last saying that, like, he must have practiced that a lot because it is a hard game. And with that amount of pressure, that's the other thing as well. Like, Mexican runners not doing this with the golden joystick on the line and, a, you know, a TV audience that are watching him. And lights and also, like, I am a better gamer when I'm in front of my TV on my sofa with my controller. You know, that, that I have my ideal placement uh same as when i recently on twitch i played game boy tetris 
and it was for a bit involving N64 Live, the amazing Cliff, who just, you know, no offense, Cliff, you stank at Tetris. I have not played Tetris on the Game Boy on a TV screen or a monitor before. I've played it on a handheld. And so the first time I played it, I actually did worse than Cliff <laughs> on stream. And it's purely because I went from a screen that was yay big to yay big. Yeah. And my, my mind could not handle the spacing. Second go, did great. Did fine because I'd kind of you know, mentally you adjusted. adjusted. Yeah. And yeah, that studio was pretty intense with the lights and the the chill, mm -hmm. the cold. It was cold. It was cold. And and all the noise and everything around you. And, and also you couldn't really hear that game once challenge started because we were being told to make noise. And a lot of it's based on sound cues. Yeah. And he and he couldn't hear that. And again, I highlight again. A 90s TV icon in the Games Master Golden Joystick that you've been holding on to for nearly 30 years could be smashed a bit. Rav would have smashed it. It wouldn't have been a gimmick, brother. They'd have smashed it to, for reals. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time on Games Master. I remember, like, and we mentioned this on the episode as well, loved this outro. This was my favourite of the outros that we th were there for, for them to film. The jazz outro. And I remember turning to afterwards, finished me like, that felt like Games Master. It felt very silly and very out of nowhere. And in fact, I think my only criticism would be, this is two out of three episodes. This outro feels like it belongs on episode seven out of ten. Yep. Like, I, I feel like you need to build up to this because... There isn't enough, I guess, character to the gatekeepers. Like, basically, the golden standard for me of assistance is the goblins. I think we've covered that. I think that my, my you know, my badge is worn with a fair amount of pride there. I feel like there could have been more with the gatekeepers done on a longer run. They could have had some bits maybe mm. involving, like, spring cleaning the abyss chamber or, you know, fighting over one of the joysticks. Basically, goblin shit. Yeah. But it was a really cool moment to be part of, especially when we realised, oh, he is actually playing that saxophone. Genuinely, when he started, I'm like, oh, they're playing some saxophone music. And then as he shifted and the sound shifted, I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. I really like this outro. You can see me in this outro as well, clicking along. Oh, we're both grooving. Oh, we're yeah. both in grooving the mood. Grooving into this. I wish I'd had my sunglasses on me, but it was October, so I didn't. So there you go. That is episode two of series eight, uh, the reboot, what I want to call it. Ash, what did you make of it? I think it is still my favourite episode. Not necessarily because the challenges are great, but because it all hangs together. Even the slightly, I don't know, fixed in the edit feature with the costumes. It doesn't outstay its welcome. Like it could have been over long. It could have run too far. But as it is, the episode just clips clops along we get a nice little bit on the switch oled we get a very fun educating grado we get a beast of a final challenge like literally if you show one bit of the games master reboot to anyone it's got to be the chrissy two sticks challenge because it bridges the gap between old and new and it's just fantastic. It's just brilliant, yeah. Just absolutely fantastic. I saw a lot of people jump to Chrissy's defense as well uh, in the comments because there were a lot of people being like, this is nothing but pro streamers. Like, what? why aren't we getting just regular people off the street? And I was like, there's literally a person just off the street in this episode. Yeah. 
should he be a pro streamer? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. He's dead good at video games, is our Chris. He should probably be on Twitch more than I should. <laughs> but he can do it on his own smegging channel. But yeah, I, uh, I had a great time with this episode. And when I think back to it, uh, you know, some of the bits I wasn't so keen on, like the um, the mech challenge and the speedrunners challenge, it reminds me a lot of when we used to review the older Games Master games, which is I didn't love the challenge, but I loved everything around the challenge. So I didn't love the speedrunners playing, but MC Fixer and Sunpai were great. I didn't love the mech challenge, but Warren was great. And little lad Larry was on fire. You yeah. know, he made me born. Like, yeah. that's, that's one of my favorite lines of the whole series. And so, actually, I can look at this as a whole and point to the costume thing as the only dud part of this episode. And it's not really their fault. It's just it, what they had planned didn't work. And what they tried to do in the edit made it not work even more. It's the only thing I can point to is say, that's not very good. But the challenges, if they're not good, they're surrounded by better things. So I think this is, it's easily my favorite episode of the, the two. I think it's the strongest episode of the two. And it's got a beast of a challenge with Cuphead, man. The crazy yeah. two-stick stuff is so good. So to the scores. 92%. Literally, that's just the first number that came into my head. And it's the number that's still there now. I was sat here thinking, do I do a gag? Do I do another four-finger special thing? No, it's a 92%. It is definitely in the 90s for the episode overall. For the challenges that aren't good, I would reference back to Vic Reeves. Vic Reeves, one of the greatest celebrities of all time on Games Master, the original run. Same with Macho Man. Same with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Games Master is about games, but in the case of the challenges, sometimes it's about what happens around them. Exactly, and I think yeah. that's what saves a lot of the challenges that are less than impressive. Yeah, I think 90, I just said 92 as well. I, cool. I think it, it's a strong, strong episode, man. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all roll a huge thank you as well to Quang for being on the show this week to give us a, a good insight into Bouncing Bum Bums, the legacy of Bouncing Bum Bums. Yeah, I mean, like his own personal Games Master Challenge. <laughs> I also love that you can see Quang in various shots in these three episodes because he's wearing a shirt with his studio's name on it. And I noticed that even more this time. And I'm like, that's quality. We weren't wearing branded shirts, Luke. That's where we that's went wrong. That's where we went wrong. I was wearing a Worms t-shirt. I was advertising someone else's thing. I think I was just wearing a plain t-shirt or a button-down shirt. I was dressed relatively smart, but I had lots of pin badges on my jacket. That's the smart thing. Yeah. You and Shanghai. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening. If you want to check us out on social media, we're on Twitter at UnderConsolePod. We're on Instagram and threads on Under.Console. And you can send us an email with your feedback for Series 8, which we will be getting to very, very soon, because there's only one more episode to go. Feedback at UnderConsultation.com. And if you want to contact us in real time, chat with other people, other fans of Games Master, hey, Chrissy Two Sticks is also there, you can join our Discord, details of which can be found in the show notes and on social media. And if you want to see how inferior a games player I am and how less photogenic I am compared to Chrissy Two Sticks, you can catch me on Thursdays at 8pm over on Twitch. And I've also started putting up polls to help people decide what games I'm going to play. So, you know, you can help influence how I suffer on stream. And you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod where you'll get access to next week's episode one week early and ad free at the £5 level and at the £10 level. You get your name read out on the show like these fine folk, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Andrew Greenwood, Andy Smith, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chris Price, 
Chrissy Two Sticks, Colin Conroy, David Palmer, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mangagirl, I Am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, J.B. Smith, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Kevin, Kylie, Lawrence, Link, Mark, Matty Boo, Misha, Nick, Phil, Retro Fund for Everyone, Reese, Rich, Richard Downer, Richard Major, Sean, Selena, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S., William Cottingham, Xanderthal, and Zach. If he's on our Patreon list, does that mean we should mark all that praise as paid promotional content? Oh, is he the meta quest of of under consultation? (laughs) For this episode, Chrissy Two Sticks is the meta quest. (laughs) But we'll see you in seven days' time for the final episode of the reboot, the final episode of our revisit. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.